You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast. We are at season 12, episode 60. I'm John and tonight we have our Premiership Review special with fans of every club. Unfortunately, St Mirren are not here. I don't know whether they're too busy celebrating top six because it's not been a while since he did it, but aye, we couldn't get anyone. So, um, first of all, joining us, we have my fellow host, John. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Um, good to be on. Had a good weekend. Um, I think the St Mirren fans are probably celebrating Stephen Robinson's new contract because that's him till 2026. It is, yeah. Very nice for him. Um before maybe we start with the podcast, do you want to give a week and a shout out for what happened at the weekend? Yeah, so um, a few of the post- um, podcast guys um, um, and others went on a um, underground football tour. It was I don't want to give much because I'd like to see people actually um, go on this. It was uh, really um, educational. Um, find a lot of um, stuff about the origins of the um, history of where they first got match was played and the, where the SFA was founded etc um, and how essentially Scotland played a big part in creating the game um, it wasn't founded in England like they, they say it's founded up here Aye so for anyone that wants to check it out Glasgow Football Tour you search that on Google um, this is the second season we've done various tours with them and it's really good um, good laugh as well so shout out to them um, right, okay, so representing Aberdeen and returning from the mid-season podcast because you missed the opener. Erin, how you doing? Good, thank you. Did I miss the opening one? You did, I. Well, that was poor of me. Maybe I just had all my predictions saved up in secret. Oh, don't worry, we'll come to predictions. Oh, well, we? very good. Yeah, I was also on the tour on Saturday. It was an excellent day out. Um, highly recommend. They do lots of different tours, and I think if you ask, they can probably do, like, tailored ones and stuff. That's really good. Um. Yeah, I've got a filing cabinet and I couldn't find the opening podcast paperwork. And then about 15 minutes before, I managed to find it. So, should be fun. I think only three of us got our predictions correct. So. How are you, Scott? Champion. Yes. Champion as per usual. Um, obviously, and... Scott is representing Celtic and is one of the regulars on the podcast. Um, so good to have you on. Um, right, here we go. So, first appearance on this type of podcast, but you have been on before. Uh, Andy, how you doing? Or Andrew? Yeah, I'm. I'm well. I'm good. My team's not, unfortunately, as I'm. I'm from the Dundee United cohort, so um, I'll be rep. I'll be reading up on the championship for next season. But um, no, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me back on. No worries. Well, at least your fellow Dundee club can get you some tips. Yeah, that's always that's always good news to see them doing well, of course. So I suspect hopefully we, we pass like trains by night next season. Who knows? Aye. Um, right, who have we got up next? Right, so Hearts. We don't have Laurie tonight. We have a very worthy replacement. And Graham, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. Glad to be back on. Still raging about last season, but that's just the way it goes. Aye, this season going by. Aye, well, aye, we'll talk about it plenty. Um, I'm missing Laurie, I know, but you'll have a new person that gets torn into it, as you'll get torn into everyone. Harry, how you doing? 
I'm good, I'm good. I mean, um, looking back on the last season, it was a bit frustrating, but, you know, um, the best heart side of all time, um, who had won uh, third place and had it all locked up before January even hit, um, and we were very close to finishing above them. So, you know, all, all in all, not not too bad a season in the end. I feel like you might be like an ally of ours tonight, because we'll probably get torn into hearts as well, so it's interesting. Uh, I, I feel it can go both ways, though. I feel we can join together to get stuck into hearts and then I feel we can also abuse each other because we've both been incredibly up and down this season Aye, that would be fair enough um, There's a lot of teams to be fair in the league that are quite up and down to be fair uh, Right, making our debut on the podcast tonight we have Kilmarnock fan Laurie, how you doing? Good, thank you very much for having me on John, it's an absolute pleasure to be here and hopefully I can blend in pretty well, I imagine I'll be the butt of a few jokes considering how Bad Kelly, Kelly did this season, despite, of course, staying up by the skin of her teeth. But an absolute pleasure to be here. You say it's a pleasure just now, but you might not be saying that by the end of the podcast, depending on how much you get ripped into. Well, well, who knows? We'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll be more complimentary about Kelly than um, than you think, than, than I think you'll be. But of course, as much as we don't have the famous heart span, Laurie, you can, you can rip into me. Oh, yes, aren't they, I? Um, I mean, you oh might get some compliments for the, for the hips here, for yourself Harry I mean I quite like Lee Johnson but you might not I'm glad someone on the podcast likes him <laughs> I mean he puts in he puts in a lovely cross Kelly fans will know and let's face it Sean a Celtic fan you'll be well aware of that lovely cross he puts in in 2012 to Dieter Van Tornhout for the well that was the last time that in Celtic lost in a major final, I think. Would that be correct? Yeah, um, Scott. Scott, is that right? Sorry, mate. Oh, yeah. I was just reading up on some of your stuff this season. Are you talking about the Kelly game against yourselves? I don't know. Yeah, from, no. from, uh, from 2012 when we when we beat you. I'm saying Lee Johnson put in that lovely cross. So a guy who's now Hebb's manager. Did he? Um, that- cross his life to Dieter Van Tornhout to head it past. Fraser Foster, I think that was in next. It would have been at that stage, mate. Aye, it would have been. Yeah, See, to be fair. Seven-year-old me. I think that was I think that was Fraser Foster in the next then, yeah. That was a bit of sweep for me because um, James Fowler was playing that game as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Uh, that's, he stays in my street. Well, he used to stay in my street, so that was a bit of sweep for me. At least there was a wee bit of silver lining for it. Eh? Yeah, there you go. Every, every close a silver lining is this year. Yep. Um, and we've got representing... Livingston, we've got you and how you doing? I'm all good, mate. I'm all good. Uh, albeit our second half of the season, especially on our travels, was probably the easiest way to put it was shite. But other than that, can't really complain. Eighth place is, is not a bad season for us. So, yeah, so kind of, I think it's going to be similar to what I said probably on last year's one, and that it was a bit of a missed opportunity this year. but any season 10th place and above is a good season for us so can't complain too much Sorry, just insert what you said on the end of season podcast last year into this one Yeah, just do that I say probably save you have to listen to me again so <laughs> Is that easy? Um, and we've got Andy representing Motherwell and I believe you need to make a quicker exit than Graham Alexander made for Motherwell this season Is that right? I was 100% sure that was what the joke was going to be as well <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I, I need to be off quite quick tonight, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for having us back on. And yeah, looking forward to what the next 
20 minutes or so brings, uh, presuming that I go quite early. Aye, right, okay, no worries. Aye, we'll come to you quickly then. Um, and then another Andy, this time representing Rangers. How are you doing, Andy? Yeah, keeping well, John. Uh, as always, do appreciate you having me on. And uh, looking forward to the discussion, serious discussion, and also the, the banter as well. Uh, I obviously couldn't, couldn't wait to hear Scott McGill's input on the season pass. So, yeah, should be a good laugh. Aye, aye. No, good to have you on as always. And then I feel like you're a regular now, uh, representing Ross County with Ross. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you for having me back on. Um, I know it's, was it twice in the space of a week, a couple of weeks, and obviously before the first leg of the playoff as well, but any opportunity to talk about what happened last Sunday, I was going to jump at the opportunity of that. So, yeah, good to be back on. And I see you were on with Malky McKay as well and Graham Spears on yeah. the week. Yeah, we did that on Saturday morning, so that was a good chat um, there. So no, it's been good. It's been a busy, busy week since uh, the the playoff second leg. So yeah, cool, very good. And um, representing St Johnson and returning from the end of season podcast last year, we have Danny. How you doing? I'm all right, John. Uh, enjoying another season of being Tayside's number one, um, which given we were total crap for most of the season, probably says uh, more about. Uh, the rest of the teams in Tayside than us, but um, pleasure to be back. Desperately, desperately wishing he had a derby. <laughs> We've got two, mate. The only bad thing might be maybe it's your turn that season for going down. Um, yeah, I've got a bit of fear about that. I'm not going to lie. Um, we, were, we were so lucky this season. Um, just about pulled the trigger at the right time, but yeah, remains to be seen. Um I'm fully on board the Macca Payne train for next season. Right, okay. So, Erin, you want to ask everyone a wee question? Yes, please. Um, I'd like to hear what everyone's best pie they had this season was and where. I think it's good to know where the best pies are in Scottish football. Uh, right, okay. Well, so I'll start in terms of Laurie. I'll go to you because you're at the top of my screen. Well, perhaps I'm biased, but I've Got to go for the for the Kelly pie, of course. I mean, I don't know how many awards now that it's won, you know, being the best pie in Scottish football, and I'm sure it won best pie in British football at one point. I mean, might as well do it. A shout out to Browns the Bakers who who did who have sponsored our shirts for the past three years. Our sponsorship's now done, but we'll still be getting the pies next season. So we could sponsor us instead and we could get free pies. There we go. I get get some free pies for the podcast, absolutely. Getting right. Browning's for that one. Aye. The only thing is, I don't know if John Gall's a big fan of Josh on the podcast, uh, but we'll see. Um, well, talk nicely about Darvel, and then you might be in a show. Come on, don't mention You have a fan of Darvel chat. Um, Andy, yourself, Andy L, Rangers. Uh, in all honesty, I'm, I'm not a, a fan of the pies at at Ibrooks or, or any ground to be honest I prefer a sort of battered pizza or something like that or King Riggs King Rib Supper Is that a King Billy Rib Supper? Well, I suppose you could call that <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> um, Harry what about yourself in terms of pies? Um, I was very hungover when Kevin Nisbet decided to absolutely terrorise Motherwell um, and I had about three pies there. I can't remember what the fillings were, and I can't remember if they were actually good quality, but I was very hungover, and they'd done a good job of making me feel alive again. So I'd say Motherwell away. Good on, good on you for a park. You get all these one win this season. 
Who did a call last time? Sorry, on you go. I was just saying, Harry, is that a paper goal that he scored that day? Oh, I, I might have been. Being, being honest, it was it was that much of a like. I, I, I got as soon as that game ended, I went straight back down to London. So I could have three pies, I could have ten for all. I know that that day was an absolute blur, but it was a good day nonetheless. Um, John, over yourself in terms of pies that you've had in your travels or at Pitodre? Um, I, I mean, the best pie I've had all season wasn't even in the Premier League. It was um, it's still in Albion. The steak and haggis with peppers, corn sauce. On the day that they clinched, like it was absolutely divine. And um, Cal McFadden of Football CFP was looking forward to us the next week when they were getting the trophy, and they didn't have that. They, it was just a one week special, so he might have saw the trophy, but I got to see the promotion party and I got the pie. So to see the pie, he saw the trophy, <laughs> you saw the pie. Um, right, okay, um, Graham, yourself. I'm gonna have to say time cast because it's only gonna be this season. Um, I've not had a chance to go other way grounds which I need to rectify next season. So I'm going to have to say hearts just because of that. Is it just a traditional Scotch pie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Ewan, what about yourself? Well, what John's saying about Stalin Albion, it's the same folk who run our pie kiosks. So we get a kind of pie of the week and South Indian garlic donor pie at Livy. Unreal. One of the best pies I've ever had. Uh, shout out to Cove as well. They had a chicken bar moral pie, which was unbelievable. Cracking pie. So I'll get that again in the in the group stages for the League Cup. So looking forward to that. But nah, Livy, Livy, hands down, best array of pies I've ever come across. Right, good shout. Uh, Aaron? Um, I didn't get a steak and treat, so it's in Johnson this season because they're sold out. So that was very annoying. Um, actually had, so I don't normally have a pack of projects and they're normally terrible, but change supplier and this season lasagna pie a little special outstanding also chicken haggis peppercorn sauce at Ross County was as good as always and Dundee United in October the only good thing was macaroni pie oh, that feels like right. ages from now yeah so, quite a top five a top three there right. I, I think overall um, actually the lasagna pie but Audrey, they can, yeah good right okay uh, Scott well mate I actually missed the uh... Talk about Kilmarnock. I missed the Kilmarnock semi-final at Hamden this year in the League Cup. But I seem to make it a treble at the Hamden Pies come the Scottish Cup final. So I've got to go with that. Oh. A wee shout out as well at the Stirling Albion ones because I had one there as well. Their steak pie was phenomenal. The gravy. Oh my God. It was odd in my face. Brilliant. Right. Uh, Ross? Uh, I'll go with the steak pies in Dingwall. I mean... Um, I will give a special shout out to the Donna Kebab Pie at Tyne Castle on the opening day of the season. That was quite good, but no, stick with my stick with my own club because you can't go wrong with a steak pie and thing. Well, so, hey, Danny. Well, I'm going to use my time with the floor to uh, wreak furious vengeance on Livingston Football Club here uh, and you, and because they they, they tantalised us with this um, South in you know South Indian garlic Donna Pie, and it sounded like the best thing I'd ever heard in my life. And our SLO, Bev, put out a, actually got really excited by it and quote tweeted it. And then Food to Go Stadium catering Livingston, uh, the bastards, decided to burst our bubble and say, oh, no, we couldn't get any in the way end. Get it right oh, round you. Yeah, get More it right me. Us, yeah. That was, that was um, the general reaction from all my Livingston supporting mates. So, yeah, um, I, I did enjoy my second Killy Pie this season. I have to admit, um, I think I was starving, so I've never enjoyed 
I don't think anything sweet as much in my life. So yeah, I'm going with a Kelly pie. Over the home pie, over the steak and chorizo of your own. Do you know what? It's the structural integrity of steak and chorizo that gets me. I can't, By the way, St. Johnston's pies taste unbelievable. They are the biggest pain in the arse to eat. They have the <laughs> yeah. soggiest bottom imaginable. They're actually, I absolutely agree with you. The integrity of the pie is so bad at St. Johnston. That's what lets it down. I know, I'm boring. I have to go just for the, uh, I have to go for the Scots pies or the macaroni at, um, at home just so I can actually hold it. Aye. Yeah, just about in there, I was absolutely gutted when I went to make Demers Park, and it must have been September or October when when you played Kelly in the pies. Well, you'd, you'd run out of pies by half time. So I was gutted not to get to try one. This not like Saints to uh, try and do something on the cheap. Uh, more about yourself, Andrew. Is that myself? Ah. Or is a few. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I'm giving you your Sunday name, Andrew. Oh, yeah, you jumping in as well, Andy. Uh, I meant Andrew Dundee United fan, first of all, sorry. Yeah, so for me, I mean, I went to Kelly a couple of times, but we lost, so they don't, it doesn't really stand out. So, and, and I all, I sat in the home end at Livingston, but didn't get the South Indian garlic um, chicken pie. But what I did get is they've got a big kind of candy lollipop thing with like a big whistle thing. So I thought it'd be a good dad and bring one back for my daughter. <laughs> and she drove me absolutely nuts for like the next two or three days with this kind of whistle until it then broke. And then we had a wee t- tantrum there as well. So I don't know if that was the best purchase, but it, it looked quite good. And I thought I was doing the right thing when I bought it. So uh, I'll, I'll say that as probably the best three. It gave her three days of happiness when I picked it up. So those things are Livingston's equivalent of the Vuvuzela. Right, the, <laughs> the actual tormenting. Oh, tell me about it when you're working from home with a, a four-year-old running around the house with one. Andrew, when you said that the whistle broke, did you break it? <laughs> well, yeah, she probably won't listen to it, so yeah, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, Andy, Motherwell. Uh, to be honest, I've not really been overindulged this season. I've been quite central, but uh, the, <laughs> the pies at Patrick Thistle, the pie sports, kind of special variety, I've been Pretty special when I visited there this season uh, on match reporting duties. So I would give the nod to them. They've ditched the, the pie and beans at St Martin as well, which is really, really disappointing. That was always a kind of special part of the visit to Paisley, but that seems to have fallen by the wayside. Right, so we've had the food chat. We might get more food chat later on, but we'll talk about some football now. So if you remember back to last year, Everyone was excited, and some clubs were in Europe, though not for long. Um, Andy, do you remember those times? Yeah, yeah I, I actually mean, think we... Sorry, I'm sorry again. <laughs> right, we need to differentiate between you, what we're going to call you. I'll, need to, I'll start calling you Dale, Dundee United fan. You must get That's called fine. that sometimes. I called worse, so I go that. Right, okay. I actually think we did the season preview podcast the night before I went to Ireland, is that right? I think it might have been I. I think it was the night <laughs> you actually went to Ireland. I think you left on the same day, if I'm not mistaken. It was, uh, it was, oh, it was a great trip. <laughs> Where the hell have I done it? Yeah, it was an atrocious, atrocious start to the season. Possibly the most embarrassing night in my mother's supporting life. I know that individually we've all had our European embarrassment, but that was right up there. The first leg was bad, but I kind of made allowances for it. I thought that with an extra week, we'd be ready to 
to go and and inevitably progress against a team of Irish part-timers. Somehow, within that space of a week, we managed to get 10 times worse than we had in the first leg. Uh, well, well beaten, and it's been a, a really, really strange season. Uh, from a model point of view, there's only two people worth talking about in terms of Stuart Kettlewell and Kevin Van Veen. If it wasn't for those two individuals, God knows where we would be. Quick shout to both of them. Should Kettlewell have been a contender for manager of the season? I, I, I don't know about that because he obviously came in in February. Uh, but his record speaks for itself, I guess, in, in terms of 14 games, only two defeats in that time. I would say with the exception of the incredible job Barry Robson did, albeit I would caveat that with the Aberdeen squad should have been much more capable of doing better things than they were in the initial part of the season. I'm not so sure that this Muddle squad, even in its current form, are anywhere near as good as the results that Stuart Kettlewell's managed to get. Uh, the talk tonight is that, that Kevin Van Veen has agreed a deal to, to go elsewhere, so that's quite a, a worrying sign, but almost inevitable at the same time. Uh, no, I, I don't think he should have been a candidate for manager this season, given that he was only there for, for three and a bit months, but there's no taking away from the job that he did when Stevie Hamill got sacked following the, the race over defeat in the Scottish Cup. I would have spoken to anybody on this call tonight and, and said that it was inevitable the mother would be relegated. Instead, finishing top of the, the bottom half, it's quite an incredible achievement, it really is. Is that a difficult one, though, like thinking that Stevie Hamill, club legend, and then the kind of way it ended, or...? Oh, 100%, 100%. Like, nobody wanted Stevie Hamill to fail. Like, it was very much a case of, even when it came to the point where he was sacked, everyone was exceptionally disappointed. And that's a guy that accumulated so many hundreds of appearances for Motherwell over over a decade of service. I... I think it was, it was inevitable that it was going to happen, but nobody wanted it to happen. It just kind of unraveled. Graham Alexander, and again, it's something that I said on here at the start of the season, Graham Alexander wasn't a popular figure. We were very fortunate to finish fifth in the table and progress into Europe. The, the upshot of that obviously was the Sligo game and the embarrassment of that. I think it was inevitable that after that that he had to go, but yeah, Hamill came in and did really well in his initial games and the style of football changed and there was quite a lot of excitement surrounding that. It was just, it was really unfortunate how it just really went downhill rapidly from that point forward. There was no coming back for him. It's, it's been good to see Stevie getting the job at, at Celtic as well because I think the, the awkward thing for Motherwell was almost kind of trying to work out how we could move Stevie Hamill back into the academy setup because he was that he was that popular. Uh, and he did a fantastic job in the academy setup. I'm sure he'll do a great job at Celtic as well with obviously much more resources. It's, it's also, I think it's worth mentioning the loss of Motherwell's chief executive as well. And I'm sure there'll be a few on this call that have got an opinion on that. But the, 
we've operated without a, a chief executive for the last five months now. Uh, Thank you for him. I love him. <laughs> I thought you would. Uh, it's been a, it's been a big loss, but I, I think there has to be a great deal of credit given to him for for the incredible job he did. And, and remember, he started as a media assistant and built his way all the way up to chief executive. And he's obviously progressed to Aberdeen, um, and he seems to have just embraced that. And it has coincided with a, a fantastic run for Aberdeen as well. I don't know if the two things are related right now, but I think the Aberdeen fans will certainly notice a, a much better dynamic when it comes to communication between the the club board and the, the supporters, which is a, is a massive thing because as punters, we can quite often feel a wee bit disregarded and almost feel as, as if we're just kind of taken for granted as well. He's made a huge difference already. Um, record season ticket sales, loads of like events with fans on the board and stuff. It's been really, really good. I think he is an excellent appointment. Um, I think Green wanted to come in as well there. I think. Sorry. Yeah, just kind of on Stuart Kettlewell. I mean, Barry Robson, was he not in round about the same length of time and he was up for football writers manager of the year? You know, so I, I think the job Kettlewell's done is on a par, probably the same. I mean, as you kind of said there, Andy, there was a lot of chat about Motherwell going down at the point when he came in. And, you know, kind of looking back to Hamill's appointment, would you say it was an appointment made with heart overhead, the Hamill one? Because obviously it didn't materialise, but he obviously got a couple of positive results to start with. And do you reckon because he's ties to the football club, they almost just wanted to get the fans on side by giving a, a club legend kind of that job? The, the thing is, it was a. I would say that the majority thought it was a good appointment at the time. You can never ever tell when hindsight is a wonderful thing in, in football, obviously. But I, I don't know. The way that it ended for Stevie Havel was it's quite upsetting to actually consider as a model supporter. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, you never ever want to see someone that had so much respect and so much love amongst the supporters, that Raith Rovers game, it became a bit toxic towards Stevie Hamill and, and even the playing staff, because you've got to remember that this is a group of players that get two managers to sack. They, uh, they then turned it on for Stuart Kettlewell, and I know that Kettlewell's kind of adopted a style where Muddle don't play with wingers anymore. They, they had a, I still think... We're capable of playing football, but we're capable of mixing up a bit more. Whereas there was almost after Alexander an emphasis on right, mother will need to actually start entertaining the supporters and everything else, and we didn't have the personnel on by, board to be able. To by the way, kind of chatting about Motherwell style, like you see the 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 post split game at our place, the the draw. That's the most football I've seen a Motherwell team play since we've been back in the top fight and. Granted, we get labelled the hammer throwers, long ball merchants and stuff like that, but Motherwell have been pretty and disgusting to watch when I've seen them play sometimes. But I have to I take my hat off. I thought that was the most football they played, certainly in the first 45 minutes since I've seen them when we've been back in the top flight. Um, John, you want to come in as well, 
Yeah, it's just when you were talking about, you know, the manager of the year chat, Barrier obviously shouldn't have been up for manager of the year either when he's only been in the frame for um, four months. But um, I suppose that's just the problem with modern day football is that eight Premier League managers or eight Premiership clubs have changed their manager this season. Or is it seven, I think? Oh, is it seven? So, no, so, um, there's a couple of teams that have changed that, uh, more than once. But, you know, so more than half the league have changed their managers, um, which obviously um, doesn't help the situation. But I think you've got to um, give credit to Stuart Kettlewell because, you know, he just worked with what was there and managed to get a reaction to the players. I think his previous experience um, of, you know, managing Ross County, you know, he got a team promoted and then kept them up the next year. Um, I think that was what Motherwell needed at that particular time. Um, and I think the thing is, is that Stephen Hamill obviously started well, but when things started to go wrong, he didn't know how to correct it. And and that became obviously this, and then obviously they get worse and worse. And I think if Mullow didn't make that change, then um, I think Mullow could have well been going down. To be perfectly honest, but you've got to give him credit. And yeah, the season. The, the the lack of ability to change it was Stevie Hamill's downfall. There there was no there was no plan B whatsoever, and I think that kind of fell down on lack of experience. The the thing is with Kettlewell as well, he's been able to bring in like Stevie Frail as his assistant, uh, Alan Archibald, albeit he's, he's now moved to Kilmarnock uh, to assist Derek McInnes. But I, I think that the kind of personnel and being able to bring in your own guys was a massive thing for, for Stuart Kettlewell's success as well. Like to Stevie Frail, regardless of your opinion on him, he's clearly got a a wealth of knowledge when it comes to Scottish football, and I think that that's a massive thing for for Stuart, who is a, still a relatively inexperienced manager, isn't he? He's not. He's had these years at County, but he's not. He's not been about the game for quite as long as many of the journeyman managers that exist in, in Scottish football. We are maybe seeing a shift for that though, with so many clubs um, getting managers from their own club already, like yourselves. Um, few others have done that. Um, Scott, you want to come in? Uh, I just a wee uh, compliment, complimentary shout towards Stuart Kettlewell's team. They came to Celtic in the last game before the split, and uh, it's probably apart from St Mern, it's probably the, the most the best challenge we've had domestically at Celtic Park. Honestly, they were brilliant from start to finish. Uh, Big Van Veen ran the show and. Spittle. Spittle was brilliant that day as well, but they were, I wouldn't say they were good to watch, but they knew their job and they were good at what they were doing and it was it worked for them on the day and uh, it was class. We got a bit of uh, criticism for that performance, I suppose, from like, the kind of Twitter uh, Celtic community, but the, the thing is, that I, I think you've got to, you're going, you're taking a water pistol to a gunfight in these occasions as well so I, I think that, I think you're right I think we, we played it quite well you mentioned Blair Spittle he's been a revelation under Stuart Kettlewell it really started quite poorly after moving to the club and it didn't seem like it was going to work out uh, but I, again I could talk about Van Veen all night he's just honestly what a season he's had I'm sure he actually had a chance apart from his goal he actually had a chance kind of it was either soon before it or soon after it where he bullied his way right through the team as well and I think he made a, a pig's ear of the actual shot to be fair but uh, he was 
you can tell he's got something about him. He's just folk, folk talk about him as if he's like a big cart horse, but he can the boy can move like he's unbelievable on the ball as well. He's 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 class, man. Yeah, some of his touches and some of his finishes this season have been incredible. I, th- I think it was quite unfortunate not to, to land one of the, the Player of the Year awards because for me, he's almost single-handedly kept Motherwell up in terms of his goals. He scored 29 goals in a, a league season and my God, in that last game against Indy United, every player in the team tried to lay on his 30th goal for him. <laughs> but... Um, it's an amazing contribution. It looks like he's going to Groningen um, in Holland. And that'll be his, his big money move, kind of almost akin to, to Michael Higgins a decade ago, where he had that incredible season and, and got his big money move. Nobody's going to grudge him. It. It's just uh, it's just a harsh reality of supporting a club like Motherwell that your, your prized assets move on. Um, I think that's up Laurie you want to win. Yeah, just kind of back to what you've all been saying. I mean, Stuart Kettlewell's done a brilliant job and he's someone who who we've probably all been, maybe I say from Ross County supporters, we've probably all been guilty of underestimating the manager because he's someone, as you're saying, who's been quite, you know, inexperienced and whatever. He obviously, you know, had that spell at Ross County where he and uh, Stephen Ferguson were Co-managers have I got a title correct? Ross, you'll know. I mean, yep. how long was Short Kettlewell actually his own man, if you will, at Ross County for? It wasn't very long, was it? Six months. Six months. So to to a lot of, you know, to a lot of kind of fans from the outside, people probably saw him as a guy with six months managerial experience and just, you know, maybe he wasn't good enough. But I tell you what. He's been absolutely brilliant at Motherwell, whether he's whether he is manager of the year. Um I don't know, or whether he's in that conversation, I don't know. But if Barry Robson's in it, Short Kettlewell's got a right to be in it, but I'm kinda with uh, with uh, you, John, that you know, it's not it's not really fair that the managers that are four months in a job get into the manager of the year conversation, but with how many managers have moved on, maybe it's just an inevitability really. Um, I think Ross, did you work in as well? Yeah, I did. So, just regarding Kets, I mean, obviously he's he's a club legend up here, both you know in a managerial sense for getting us promoted back up to the Premiership, winning the Challenge Cup, and uh, and as a player as well for for what he achieved here too. I think it was always going to be interesting to see from a Ross County fan's point of view how he got on after he left County, because obviously he had that six months, you know, in the role on his own. And it didn't obviously end well um, when he left the club and, you know, form was poor, the performances were poor at that time. And he took a break, he stepped back, he was doing a lot of like punditry work and things like that. And anytime there was like a, a vacancy at likes of a, I don't know, like a Dunfermline or a Falkirk or these kind of clubs, I, I thought that was going to be the perfect fit for him at that time. Um, but he was patient, obviously got the opportunity to go into Motherwell uh, through the academy initially and then obviously after Hamill left he's he stepped in and you know he's done he's done brilliantly you know any kind of adverse challenges that have come up against him you know I think looking from the outside in it was always going to be you know they were carrying this great form but you know if they lose a couple of games on the bounce you know how are they going to react but they've not lost a couple of games on the bounce they've they've 
you know, they've gone to Celtic Park and got results. They they ran Rangers close at, at Fir Park as well. And, you know, they were comfortably the best team in the bottom six, you know, towards the end and, and, and well before that too. So um, it was always interesting to see there. And I think as well, Andy mentioned Blair Spittle. And Spittle was a player that Kets actually sent out on loan at County to Park Thistle at the time. And it, was, it wasn't until January when uh, Yogi came in that he brought Spittle back and he kind of hit the ground running for County. So kind of... I don't know what it's like maybe as a player that, you know, things haven't worked out under a former manager, you've gone on to a new club and then that manager then steps in to role. You might be kind of a bit apprehensive thinking, okay, you know, it, I, I didn't play my best football or things didn't quite work out there, but you know, Spittle's been great. He was a big loss for us last summer, but um, w- one question I kind of had, um, we saw links today of um, Stuart McKinstry being linked with moves either back to Motherwell or, you know, we're reported to have an interest in him too. And, and we did last summer too. And I thought he was quite good at the first half of the season. But then as soon as Ketz came in, he's only played like 15 minutes of football in, in the matches that he's been in charge there, Andy. So was it just like the change of shape or did kind of Ketz not fancy him in that role? Or No, it was completely down to the change of shape, to be honest with you. As, as I said earlier on, Stuart Kettlewell hasn't been playing with wingers or out-and-out wingers. And, and Stuart is predominantly a winger, so he's just not really had the opportunities that that he had under Stevie Hamill. I, I think you're right in what you're saying. He was a pretty decent performer. He's still very raw. He's had a few opportunities at Leeds in the first team. He played with their under-23s, and he was a standout in that team. There's a long way to go for him, but I think it would be to his benefit if he got another season out in loan and, and saw what happened. There was interest from the likes of Burnley and a few other teams as well down south when he was having a good spell at Motherwell. I don't know where where that will lead to, but I'd be very surprised to see him return to Fir Park, uh, in all honesty with you. Yeah, I think I read that he's been he's been released now from Leeds, so I think he's available on a free and there's a bunch of lower league teams in England and then um ourselves and you know Motherwell were linked with him today. So it was just a question on that. Um last up in terms of before we move on to that team, Danny, uh, bring yourself in. Yeah, um, it's more a comment than a question. I just want to congratulate Kevin Van Veen, um, not on a 30-odd goal season, but on the funniest thing I saw all season at McDermott, where he missed a penalty or had a penalty saved. It had to be retaken. He then penenkered in the retake and induced one of the all-time great perfumes just everyone went ballistic and our captain ended up chasing him up the byline to try and get the ball back. So, yeah, well done, well done to him because that was very funny. That, that was all just to celebrate the birth of, or the, the pregnancy of his partner as well. So it was just I know, a perfect... He was doing the better. He had the, the ball up his shirt and Liam Gordon's chasing him down and trying to kick him. <laughs> Uh, that could be a contender in for funniest moment of the season, which we'll see if we go on to. Um, right, we'll move on in its club. So again, another club that started off in Europe, um, but had a, well, I think it's simple to say a disastrous season. And it also went through three managers. So this is me, I'm guessing. See, when you said Andy, whose club had humiliated himself in Europe, <laughs> jumped the gun a wee bit early last time, right? Um, so this is Andy, the Dundee United fan. Uh, yeah, I'm... Um, 
I mean, Jack Ross did win more games in Europe than Ange Postecoglou this season, but um, yeah, it's been a that, that date game against Alkmaar seems a long, long time ago. And if you'd said to me that night when I left Tanadice that Jack Ross would be out of job three and a half weeks later, um, I know managers lose their jobs quickly, but I don't think anyone could have believed that. Um, and there was discussion there about the Motherwell players getting two managers a sack. Well, I, I thought we were going to get three managers a sack, but remarkably, despite taking Neil Poir after the split, uh, Mr Goodwin's been offered the job on a, on a kind of full-time basis. But yeah, the season in general has been a disaster and it leaves the club in a real difficult position going forward because our wage bill is the sixth highest in um, the country. It's not, I mean, it's it's probably a half of Hearts or Aberdeen, which is a difficulty that we have. And then Hibs, maybe for every pound we spend, they maybe spend 150. But it's significantly more than, than the other clubs, you know, close to double, you know, certainly some of them that publish their accounts. So we've got a wage bill that as of last year was six or 5.88 million. That's before we brought in Stephen Fletcher, a full year of Tony Watts wages. Uh, as he speak, um, remarkably, we paid a transfer fee for what I think is probably the worst goalkeeper to play consistently in the Scottish top flight, certainly in the 30 years that I've been watching football. I mean, you've, you sometimes have seen goalkeepers that have, have played a couple of games and been dropped. A few jambos, and I saw the jambo laugh and thinking Joe Pereira, Graham, I don't know if that's what you're thinking there, Papadom hands himself, but Mark Berrigetti certainly uh, would run that close and I, I think has a good shout to be the worst ever goalkeeper. Um, I, not just, I, I suppose the errors that he made were, I mean, he made, he made a few comical game-changing ones, but it was, it was just clear the defence didn't have any confidence in him and I think with a competent goalkeeper, we would have likely had a kind of maybe finish around, I don't think it would have been great, but maybe around the kind of St. Johnson living mark, I think he literally cost us about eight to ten points that had just not having a competent goalkeeper. And given we had Trevor Carson in the building and we knew Segrist was away, it just seems absolutely remarkable. Um, but for next season, I suppose a million-dollar question, or it might be a wee bit more than a million dollars, given they've already pumped in several million dollars, is what are the Ogrens going to do? Um, because the supporters are, you know, you get the kind of all they need to leave as well, a total lack of understanding of the situation that, you know, they, it's own, it's, they're the owners, it's their club. And the question is, are they going to try and are they going to cut their losses and think, right, we're in too deep here. We've spent, I don't know, between probably around the director's loan counts, 10 million. You had this season and, and buying the shares close to 50 million quid. Are they going to cut their losses at that? Or are they going to have to fund the club to get back up? Because they are going to have to deal with guys like Tony Watts, Stephen Fletcher. And then, I mean, maybe the only two assets I think we could sell is maybe... Dylan Levitt, maybe as he speak, we might, might get nominal-ish transfer fees for, you know, kind of maybe low six-figure transfer fees. But beyond that, there's no value in that squad. And there's a heap of guys, um, I think, not in the playing squad, the non-playing squad. We've got a huge backroom staff as well. So we, we need to work out the formula for next season. Are you surprised that so few players were released so far? Because well, not... I've only seen, seen the four players. So what, Paula, Edwards, Harks and Smith? But that's all the contract ones, John. That's all they've got. So that's a difficult. The only guy in contract was Jack Newman, the goalkeeper, who, I mean, seems to let him three goals a game. I mean, in fairness to me, he's 21 years old. He should never have been put into that situation against Kilmarnock in the kind of, you know, the relegation crunch game. It's not really, it's, it's far from being his fault. He was off the contract. Everyone else is under contract. And that's the difficulty we've got, John, because I don't think there was any um, consideration of the risk of us going down. And in fairness, you talked about the season's predictions at the start. I saw the Pine Bovril Twitter account put out, I think they had close to 4,000 entries. With about 3,900 entries on their predictions and four people tipped on the United to go down. So one in a thousand entries. So that maybe shows you the thinking, you know, in August that, you know, it, it wasn't really on anyone's radar that United could go down. Um, but I think the real anger, certainly from the United support, wasn't so much the summer transfer window where 
with the right intentions, they spent a lot of money on players but got the balance totally wrong. They didn't bring in a central defensive midfielder. The squad didn't gel. You know, we were told we had lots of good players like Levitt, McGrath, Beach, but they just didn't gel together. And Charlie Mulgrew seemed to go off a, a, a cliff edge along with his central defensive partner, Ryan Edwards. I have no idea what happened because he had two really good seasons with United and, and the drop-off in form is... I mean, you don't like to speculate about what's going on in people's lives, but I mean, I, that's the only thing I can think of to, to try and work out how he could his form could have dropped so badly. I mean, maybe that just happens with players, but yeah, it's 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 a remarkable position that we've managed to get ourselves into, and we now need to recalibrate. I mean, you're talking about Tony Watt. I don't again like speculating on people's wages when I've not seen the contract, but he was at Motherwell, and the you know the rumours certainly are that you know we certainly paid kind of two three times you know the rate he was on there. So you know, I think it's he's on a big wage and certainly not a championship level wage. So I don't know how we we balance that. Um, John, I think you were first to come come in. Yeah, I I think um, from the 20th minute onwards in that Altmar game, it was amazing how alarming um, it started to unravel for Dungeon because we were actually doing well that first 20 minutes and then it was (laughs) uh, Altmar made it 1-0 and 1-1 overall. United just chucked it after that. I mean, the goals that they were letting in and it's been the theme all season um, it's always the same type of goals. I mean, what are the defence actually learning? Um, I think, I mean, it's easy to criticise Bergen, who has been atrocious, you know, by far the worst goalkeeper this season in the league. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But he's also not helped by those in front of him. I mean, Charlie Mulder is a player coach. He's went missing. Um, he's spent more time preparing himself for a, a gig at the Hydro than has been um, on the pitch at Dundee United. Um, Dylan Levitt's not been the same player. Um, Jane McGrath has a bar a few penalties yeah. hasn't done much um, Ian Hartz he was a revelation the year before I forgot he was at United until the end of the season when he scored against Livingston he's barely been seen um, and you know it's not even just the Altmar game I mean St Mern beat you 3-0 at uh, Dice, and that was going on 6 or 7 um, but yeah it's been an absolute atrocious one for you Andy and um, yeah good luck to you next season <laughs> Yeah, it'll be interesting because it's a strong championship. I think, you know, certainly Cove have been replaced by Dunfermline who will have a bit a portion, as I understand it, the Kevin Nisbet money in their pocket as well because I believe that they sold um, Nisbet to Hibs and had like a, a very high profit clause. You know, I've seen, I obviously don't know, but I've seen reports around the 30, the 30-35% profit margin. So, you know, if Hibs, Hibs have sold them for 2 million quid, they bought them for 250 grand, but Dunfermline might well get 600 grand or something like that, which would be a is a great kind of, you know, uh, I know these fees often come over time, but that's money coming in they can budget for, right? Um, I think that's up to you and I think you want to go in. Yeah, just kind of what Andy's talking about where players getting managers sacked. I, I know after yeah. the, the 9-0 against yeah. Celtic, he played us, Medik yeah. and Liam Fox was in temporary charge of the game in the League Cup tie. And you were 2-0 up at half time and... I can only imagine Jack Cross being the angriest man in Scottish football watching Dundee United's performance in that first 45 minutes after what he'd kind of seen on the Sunday. Like, it was so evident that a group of players just completely down tools for a manager. And you know, I, I kind of think, don't get me wrong, you can understand why they made the change with Jack Cross given the you know the, the 7-0 in Altmar, I think it was 4-1 at home to St Mirren, you also lost ourselves and and then obviously the, the heavy defeat against Celtic. But, you know, today, and as I know you've spoke about it, Andy, before, William Fox being the outstanding candidate <laughs> to follow that up after having 
and don't get me wrong, I have a lot of time for Liam Fox. He's a he's a Livingston legend, was assistant manager at ourselves as well. So I've got a lot of time for Fox. And I, I believe he's a very good coach, but he's never struck me as somebody who would be a number one. And going into a dressing room trying to control guys like Mulgrew and, and what, uh, I just I can't envisage how that was a, ever deemed a good appointment from Dundee United. Yeah, I, th- I think, that, I, I mean, I, that seems to be it. It seems that Mulgrew had the run of the dressing room while Tam Courts was in charge last season and I think they thought that formula worked of appointing a young coach and, and going for it. And Tony Asgar seems to, like, you know, he's, he's got a degree in sports directorship and I think it's he was almost playing like football manager running the club because he was spending someone else's money implementing ideas that he'd learned on a course rather than having any experience of previously successfully running a football club. Um, and, uh, yeah, the it, it, Liam Fox should not have been appointed in my opinion. I mean, obviously, hence this one following. It's interesting because at the time I wanted, I, you know, I, I would be a revisionist if I didn't say I didn't want Jack Ross sacked because, I mean, and it might sound impulsive, but losing 9-0, as you said, the players had clearly given up. You can't generally sack the players. The manager bites a bullet in that situation usually. Um, and, I mean, that's like a result on, like, historical proportions. It's a United's record league defeat at Tanadise. They've not lost, I think, by that margin for 80-odd years. So something had to give back. You know, the question was posed to me, if, if we'd not sat Jack Cross, would we have been relegated? I, I don't know. It's a very easy thing to kind of turn around after the event and say, I, and I had called for a sacking at the time. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a real difficult situation to work out how we get guys out the door now. That's the problem. We've got guys on contracts that we need to try and get out the door. Um and we maybe need to put some trust in the young players for next year. So the guys at the end of the season that you, you saw the game you and against Livingston were having to play because we gambled on on Stephen Fletcher being fit. It was a remarkable January transfer window insofar as I think we could have been forgiven for, for the summer recruitment. But then in January to go, that goalkeeper is going to be OK. And not only that, we'll send the other goalkeeper out on loan and we're going to get rid of Tony Watt and bring no one in. I mean, that was just playing with fire. That was just an absolute recipe for disaster. And that's when the fans immediately turned on, um, you know, Tony Asker particularly because I, the Ogrens were sitting back in America. And I think they were told, oh, the recruitment's been fine this summer. It's quick. We might finish up, you know, kind of bottom six. But, you know, beyond that, it'll be fine. Whereas I think at that point, the conversation should have been, look, I know we spent all the budget in the summer. I know we had plans. We budgeted for top six. But by the way, if we don't bring in two or three players here, we, we could be relegated. And that was quite obvious, I think, for a lot of people within the game from about February, you know, from the end of January onwards. So, um, yeah, it's been a complete disaster. And how how we balance it for next season, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the, the, the team is. I think they'll have to be young guys step up, which was the model. The model's been all over the place. That's the thing with United as well, because it was, we're going to bring in, um, they followed the American football model when they first came in, the Benetich model. We're going to sign leaders, maybe average footballers, but their leaders are not going to accept it. Your Mark Connolly's, your um, Mark Reynolds, etc., your Callum Butcher's, guys that will roll up their sleeves and get involved. And then it was, um, okay, we're going to sign young players when we're promoted. And then actually they went out and signed a bunch of guys that all had international caps this summer. That seemed to be the, the signing model. It was, you know, as he speaks, you know, a, a kind of 30-year-old Australian guy paying transfer fees for players with international caps. Um, you know, I believe the guy Niskanen was quite a chunky six-figure transfer fee, which is just absolutely bonkers considering how poor he's been. So, yeah, I, it's a real... It's been an absolute... I, to be honest, other than the heart side that, uh, you, um, you know... Graham might come in and say, if I use the word relegated, I don't know if he'll say demoted in 2020. Aside from that, it's the most expensively assembled side to be relegated. Um, and that is the way we went down as well. The 3-0 defeat against Kilmarnock was just an absolute nonsense the, in, in a game of such importance. And I actually could tell from like the first minute of that game, I know it's easy, but for the first minute, United just, it was similar to the, the county party game. You know when... Um, 
I don't know, for the guys that watched it, when, when County got the goal back, I've never seen a team implode like Partick from the centre. They passed it to the guy, and you could just see the panic in the team. United were similar to the way they started that game against Kelly that night. It was just panic throughout the team and no leaders stepping up to take ownership. So, Ross yeah. made that at point last week about that. Um, I don't know if it was you that were coming in first or with Scott. I know the two of you get your hands up. And, uh, I just want to I just want to thank Candy for uh, giving Kyogo his only hat trick of the season. Thanks, but well, what a joyous well, occasion. There you go. I'm glad I'm glad you uh, I was just relieved it didn't get to ten at that point because I, I'm a bit of a stato, so I'm sitting there going like trying to research last time we lost five nil, six nil, seven nil, and it's going up and up and up type thing. Uh, um, we kinda struggle to hit ten these days, mate. <laughs> Enjoy. I do enjoy looking at your stats, especially this season and the misery there's been for them. Uh, it's, it's been good. Been, um, been good. But I was definitely hoping for 10 to make up for what we did. Um, yeah. Goss? Uh, I think it's quite interesting, you know, Andy mentioned there about, you know, bit of getting and things like that. And, you know, a, a good goalkeeper breeds confidence throughout the team, especially amongst yeah. your, your back three and a back four. And I think, you know, looking back to the, the game at Tanadice and the split between ourselves and United, I, I think after you guys grabbed the equaliser, you were probably on the front foot and looked the more dangerous team. But yeah, Dad, I, they got booked for time-wasting right on half-time. You guys yeah, wanted half-time. Exactly. And then, obviously, at the start of the second half, um, Benigetti makes that slip and almost lets the two in. Obviously, it didn't cost a goal, but then yeah. straight away, that then puts the nerves amongst the team. And then, obviously, we then go and grab a couple of goals after that. Um, but I think it was quite interesting watching United this season because they seem to be a team that, if things were going their way, they were great. Yeah. As soon as there was a moment of adversity there, you know, lack of leadership, strong characters potentially, they would crumble, you know, likes of in that game there. Um, the the 4-0 game in Dingwall as well. You know, you guys have mentioned the the 9-0 game there. Yeah, yeah. Like it was, it almost kind of seemed like that at times. Like there was no one there to, in the tough moments, just calm everyone down, reset. And, you know, if you were to get out of, um, I don't know, somewhere with a, a one or two goal loss, then, you know, that's it. That's fine. It would be, you'd be conceding more and more or it would just be the game would be getting away from us too quickly. Yeah, massively. I mean, we let in the most amount of goals in injury time in the league, but also, I mean, this is a side that usually the side that finishes bottom might maybe have one good result or whatever throughout the season. You know, we beat Aberdeen for nothing, we beat Kilmarnock for nothing, we beat County for nothing. There's mitigating factors in all those games, kind of bizarre own goals and that type of stuff. And But I mean, this was a side that when they got one or two up, had a bit of swagger, your Jamie McGrath, Dylan Levitz are then kind of switching yeah. it around and you see that they're good players, but when the chips are down and, and they needed to dig in, they were all looking to each other. No one was prepared to take ownership of it. And I even thought, and this might sound a silly example, but the Livingston game um, where you might remember three games left where County lost, obviously, the last-minute goal to Motherwell um, and Kilmarnock lost at home remarkably to St. Johnson, which seemed like a life. And we had a great opportunity. If we beat in Livingston that day, we would have got up to 10th. And Beach was the only guy who, you know, as a fan, says cares. But his red card was coming a mile off because he was getting more and more wound up. And I said when he got his first booking, I said I, I was shouting at, at Mulgrew, get over to him because he's quite clearly wound up. And all the no, there wasn't a teammate within 15 yards of him. And it was obvious that he was wound up and going, and it needed someone to just go, right, calm down. We need you for the big game against Kilmarnock on Wednesday night. And then inevitably, of course, he sarcastically claps and gets himself sent off two minutes later. Um, and I thought, and look, that's BH's fault, right? But um, it needed someone just to go in his ear and go, a, a teammate, hang on a second. And and they're, they're, they weren't teammates for each other as far as I could see. They just, it was all about kind of passing the blame. And another example of that is when Birigetti made that absolute howler against St. Johnson. I don't know if Danny wants, it was at Tanadice that day um, for what is probably the worst 
goalkeeping error I think I've ever seen when because the thing about it is Stevie May tackles him but Medic is not even trying to kick it if you watch the replays it's, bizarre. it's like his foot's not even gone back to try usually you'd expect him to panic and you know but but there's nothing it's like the guy it's like Stevie May's got an invisibility coke on as someone said to me absolutely bizarre but Bittigetti went down and again not a teammate went to bother to see him and look Bittigetti's made a horrendous error there but in that situation you need your captain or whatever you know to get him up right and there was none of that it was just the guys like out for themselves and a, and a really poor team because this group of individuals should not have been relegated mm. um, but they weren't down because they were the worst team in the league by a mile yeah I, I, I agree with that I think it's obviously we'll come on to Ross County in a little bit but I think that's potentially what kept us up you know in the tough moments there was that kind of character and leadership there like going into the penalties in the second the second leg of the the playoff it was there was like a a togetherness you know compared to the part of Thistle players who looked like they were you know down and out at that point they look they looked like they chucked it um so yeah look it's 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 obviously easy to look back on now but yeah it was just kind of observations kind of throughout the season that wasn't addressed so um, just finally with Dundee United uh, Laurie you've got a question and then we'll move on to that team yeah not so much a question but more just a kind of point to make well when it goes back to what you've what you've both been saying you know Andrew and uh, Ross as well I mean Kelly only stayed up because well because well Kelly and Kelly only stayed up because Dundee United usually were the worst by a mile and that game you know at Tannadice towards the end of the season is as poor as as poor as Dundee United were, and excuse me, Andrew, they were awful. That was, and what made it all more frustrating for you is the fact that Kelly were, and we'll get on to this, I'm sure, absolutely dreadful away from home. I mean, we only had, what, two away wins in the league all season, so we beat St Mirren, and we obviously beat Dundee United. I mean, there was... I mean, I didn't think that performance was coming from Kelly at all. I thought we were going to crumble under the pressure. And I thought, as bad as Jim Goodwin had been in the split, I thought, could he maybe, you know, get a win to make things interesting in the final day as as ourselves and Ross County battled it out? But Dundee United were hilariously bad. So I, I wouldn't complain in one bit, but I'm sure you, you were, Andrew, because at that point, you three you were down. <laughs> What, what what was it you needed? Was it a nine was it a nine nil win over Murrowell or something? Well, no, they needed an eight goal swing. So two four nil wins would have done it. I, I was actually I couldn't make the last game of the season anyway. So in some respects, it was I was a little bit annoyed almost at County uh, letting that last minute go and didn't do it mathematically put us down on the Wednesday night because it was like. But I knew it that, but there, there wasn't even a flicker that it was a possibility. It wasn't ever going to happen. So. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so I think was it Harry? I think you proclaimed Hearts as the best team ever uh, this season, wasn't it? No, no, sorry, I, I was quoting Hearts fans claiming that Hearts were the best uh, team ever. Sorry about that. Oh, so we'll, we'll talk about Hearts and then we'll probably actually move on to Hibs after that. So, Graham, again, a season that started promising in terms of having European football group stages and then supposedly once you were out of Europe, it was going to be a breeze to third place. Well, I never once proclaimed that we were the best team, to be honest. A few my colleagues might have said that, but I certainly didn't. Um, Europe was disappointing. We won the games I expected to win against RFS, the Latvian team. The home games against Fiorentina were massively disappointing. We didn't do ourselves justice in any of those games. The one for me that really annoyed me the most was the Europa League game against Zurich. Um, we were 1-0 up away from home through Shanklin's penalty. And then we sat back. We did the normal Robert Nielsen thing of just sitting back and accept the 1-0 win, which we were never going to get. We lost the game 2-1. 
We go back to Tynecastle, and that first half, we were brilliant. We just couldn't score. Second half, once George Grant gets sent off, the game's done. They score and the game's done. We dropped in at the, the Conference League, and as I said, we won the two games I expected to do. The away games against Bersaccio and Fiorentina were disappointing. Apparently great trips. There wasn't at any of them, but there were great trips, apparently. But disappointing, but not unexpected. And I think in terms of the league, I mean, I probably thought for a long time, basically because of how poor Aberdeen and Hibs had been, I thought we would probably get third quite comfortably, even though we hadn't actually played that well in a lot of games. I mean, we just before the World Cup, we drew with Livingston at home, another terrible performance. Then we had a nine-game unbeaten run after the World Cup. We didn't play particularly well in any of those games, to be fair. And even then, you know, we'd beaten Aberdeen 5-0, I don't know how that happened because they weren't great that day, to be honest, but Aberdeen were really poor. And it just kind of, it went to March and it just completely collapsed. We were terrible. We were in a really bad run. I think it was five games without a win, including a really feeble Scottish Cup defeat to Celtic at home. And it just completely collapsed. We couldn't get it back. Robin Nielsen, of course, takes a lot of criticism, a lot of blame. But the players for me, down tools. And I think Stephen Naismith said when he got the job after Nielsen got sacked, that the players have coasted, and he was right. I think they did. I think a lot of them thought, this is done now. We don't have to try. The biggest example of that for me was Robert Snodgrass, who started off really well. But once teams figured out, stick a man on Snodgrass, that was just done. Because we had no other game plan apart from that, but to get Robert Snodgrass the ball. And I think the decision to sack Nielsen, I said when I came on the show the last time, that it was the right call. Naismith has done okay. I think he's been all right. He's got a style of play that he wants to try and implement, which is fine. But he's only won two games out of the seven. Performances have improved, don't get me wrong. The Ross County game at home, we were great. Aberdeen at home, we were brilliant. Celtic game, first half, until Cochrane gets sent off, I thought we were very good. Rangers away, our first point against Rangers all season. But it was just a, it was a really frustrating season. You know, finishing fourth isn't good enough. And I think as well, only Hearts, could appoint Stephen Naismith as a head coach, but not actually appoint him head coach because he's not got the pro license yet for European games. Only Hearts could do that. But then I've I've been very vocal on Twitter the last few days that for me, I think the Naismith's appointment is a massive, massive risk. I think it's underwhelming. After he got appointed, Andrew McKinley said in his statement, because I looked at it, and he did say that we interviewed a, an excellent number of candidates. Well, I'd love to know who they were because can they be that good if Naismith's got the job? So, yes, yeah, it's, it's been massively frustrating. I mean, fair play Aberdeen. They've done their job. Barry Robson came in. He's done a great job. But Hearts threw it away. I mean, there's no debate about that. They threw it away. And Robin Nielsen's got to take a lot of the blame for that. I'm not one of these guys that's going to slate the guy massively. But he does take a large part of the blame. But the players as well have got to take a look at themselves because they were awful. Do we think it's a sign of the times, though? Maybe COVID impact that we're seeing so many clubs appointing managers from within? The cheap option. I think that's what I called it. Maybe that was harsh. Maybe I should have said lazy option, but I think it was a cheap option. No, we tried to get this guy, Marty Sifuentes from Hammersby, who's got a decent CV, plays a decent attack in football. He was he was never coming. I knew weeks ago Nason was getting the job. As soon as the young player started sending new deals, I knew he was getting the job. It was the worst kept secret in Scottish Super League was getting the job. And I do think that it's a massive, massive risk. I mean, he's got to start the season well next season. If he doesn't, Pressure's going to tell. I mean, again, I go on a lot of Hearts Twitter. I'm on a Hearts Twitter. And I go on a lot of Hearts podcasts and stuff. And a lot of fans are saying it's a great appointment. 
I don't agree. I think it's a, a risk that we didn't need to take. And the fact that he's not even the head coach, he's technical director because he's not got his pro licence, just sums up for me. But he has to start next season well. Summer's going to be important. He's got to recruit well. If we can keep Janelli, that'll be a massive bonus. We also need Halkett back, Craig Gordon back, Liam Boyce back, Benny Beningame back. They've been massive misses, especially Craig Halkett, because defensively we have been horrendous. I like Kai Rolls, but he's, his form's dropped recently. I think since he got that five-year contract, he's completely fallen off the, off the boil. So it's a massive, massive job for Stephen A. Smith. He needs to get somewhere right. If he does that, signs well. I mean, we've got a decent start to the season. Fair enough. But it is a massive, massive gamble that I don't think we need to take. Um, John, I think you were first of to come in here. Yeah, I think the hearts thing with Stephen Naismith, I think they've looked at Aberdeen and thought, well, Aberdeen appointed by Robson um, because Barry Robson did well. This will work for us. But the thing is, Aberdeen took their time with Barry Robson. They were still scouting um, to see what was available whilst he was getting on with the job. And it just so happened that we went in that terrific run and, you know, he earned the job from that run. Stephen Naismith, for me, has not earned that job. Plus, Barry Robson's had years of, experience, of coaching experience at the club. He's been um, a player, a coach for the last seven, eight years. Stephen Naismith's only been doing um, coach hats for what, the last two, possibly three. Um, I think he'd have been better off learning as a number two under an experienced manager, as George mentioned. I mean, they were, I mean, Hearts were linked with Chris Wilder um, and that um, disappeared quickly. So, yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. The way they've done it as well, um, it's, it's pretty bizarre. But um, I wish Naismith all the best, but I don't ask to inspire employment, to be honest. I think it's come far too soon for him. I mean, he's been managing the B team, and I think he's done well with young players, and he has actually brought a few of them into the first eleven. He had James Wilson, who's only 16 on the bench against St Mirren. He never got on. But he has got young players signed up to new deals, and that's something that I've criticised Nielsen about a lot, and I criticise Levine about it a lot as well, because they didn't play young players. Young players will show you that they've got no fear. I mean, there's a few that I'm massive fans of, like Connor Smith. He's a very good footballer, but he doesn't get a chance. I think the boy Bobby McClucky, really good player as well, but we just don't promote youth players. And I think when we started to get young players signed up to new deals, I thought then Naismith's getting this job because I don't think they signed those deals if Naismith's got not getting that job. So I think, or oh, a couple of folk have disagreed with me on Hearts Twitter though, that I think we'll probably see two or three young players getting a chance next season. And I hope that's the case because they don't have any fear. But again, I think it is a massive, massive risk. And, I really want Naismith to do well. I really want him to do well, but I've I've got serious doubts. Um, I think the young players things are a thing that's re- um, across the board. The league, few exceptions in terms of folk getting chances. So we'll see how it changes maybe next year. Um, Scott, you want to come? Well, actually, coming away from the young player, but how do you actually feel that the treatment uh, Robert Snodgrass was coming to the end of the season there? Because I kind of thought it was a bit a bit poor how he got let away. I think there's been a lot of. I think there's been a lot of things behind, behind the scenes that I've been hearing about and stuff, but, you know, he did try and drive high standards, which I, I like because Hearts should be getting that high standard. But I think a lot of Hearts players weren't happy with the way that Robert Snodgrass went about things at certain times. And it seemed like everything had to go through him. Like our defenders, like Rolls or Cockner or Sibbert would get the ball. And it's like they had to look for Robert Snodgrass. And he just, Robert Snodgrass is a great player. You know, he's got plenty of experience, but he's too slow. He can't run. And it, it, it was actually St Mirren that did it first that, um, in Paisley. We drew 1-1. We were terrible. But all St Mirren did was stick Alex Gogic. 
man marking Snodgrass, and that completely nullified us. And I think actually, I actually quite like the fact that when a new manager comes in, he tries to make a statement. Naismith did that straight away because he basically said to Snodgrass, listen, you've no part of my team, which I do like. Now, I know that Snodgrass made a statement weeks and weeks ago about the fact that he would say what happened. We're still waiting to find out what happened. But I don't mind the fact we got rid of him. I think it was the right idea. But whether things behind the scenes were um, not particularly great, I'm waiting for Snodgrass to come out and say something because he did say that he would. Um, right, time to get your popcorn out because Harry is nuts. I'm, I'm actually not going to be too harsh, I think. Um Realistically, I've got I've got a couple of points I want to make. I want to say, first of all, I think that genuinely Hearts' treatment of Robbie Nielsen is disgusting. I think that Robbie Nielsen has probably been the best manager, if not top three manager for Hearts in the 21st century. And the fact that every time there's any form of adversity, fans fly planes over the ground to get them sacked is an absolute abomination. Um, and if I was a Hearts fan, I would feel embarrassed about that. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, I also wanted to... Again, just I want to hack it in one more time, um, claiming that you're finishing third um, after getting knocked out of Europe in embarrassing fashion, with the only reason being there, the fact that you automatically made it there. Um, and then <laughs> finishing behind a team that you got that you beat 5-0 is incredible. Um, and then also, I just wanted to say um, congrats for beating Aberdeen to the worst appointment of the season. Um, I'll, I'll come to that later on. I think Aberdeen have had an absolute mere point in uh, Robson. Um, but Naismith, he's, he's done kids football and now he's in charge of one of the biggest teams in the country. It's a risk that's not going to pay off. I'm very glad for it. And I think by uh, January at the very latest, um, you'll actually recruit a manager for a change. Hopefully you'll get Nielsen back and Nielsen can appoint, uh, not Nielsen, sorry, uh, Levine back and Levine can appoint himself again because that was a good laugh. But yeah, in, in essence, Graham, I think it's been a disaster of a season followed up by a disaster of an end to the season. I can't believe he's appointing a boy that hearts look terrible at the moment. Like that that performance, I know he's went down to town 10 men. It was cowardly at Tynecastle when he's played against him. So I've never seen a hearts team that scared of an Edinburgh derby before. And if that's what you're putting up, I'm absolutely delighted. And I hope that Naismith gets a very, very long contract as technical director. I was going to say it's like shots fired, but that's like the scene at the end of Commando where like he just goes mad and just blitzes everybody. Um, Graham, you're right to respond. Well, hips are irrelevant to me. I mean, they come to Tynecastle against 10 men and they cheer their team off for finishing fifth. They're, irre- they're, irre- they're irrelevant. I mean, they're absolutely pathetic hips, to be honest. And the fact that Lee Johnson tried to aim a little kidney punch at Stephen Naismith, I mean, the guy can't even enter the Pepsi Max, so I don't really care about hips are irrelevant to me. I think the fact, <laughs> the thing is, I mean, I think... Robin Nielsen, I've had comments about this before. Now, I, I do agree. I think there are a lot of Hearts fans, and I've said this before as well, there's a lot of Hearts fans that don't like Robin Nielsen, and they've never liked him since we got knocked up at Hibs and have won the Cup that season. I don't agree with that. For me, I think Nielsen has done very well. You know, he's had two third-place finishes. When he left to join Yankee Dons, he was second. He's got us in about three Cup finals. Yes, we lost to Celtic in penalties on one of them, and last season against Rangers, we were we were terrible. I'm not going to lie, we were awful. But the criticism of Robin Nielsen, I think, at times is very, very poor. You know, I don't agree with some of the stuff I've heard about him. I think he has done a very good job. He could and probably should have won a cup. But I think the treatment of him, yeah, it has been disappointing. I mean, the fact that we, I don't know who it was, that flew the plane, um, you know, saying no style, no bottle. I didn't agree with that at all. But, I mean, he has done a very good job. And I think when he got sacked, I did agree with it. I think the time was right. He was on a poor run. And 
in terms of Stephen Naismith, I've said it before. I think the appointment is a gamble. It's a massive, massive risk. But I, I hope he does well. I mean, I want any manager that comes to Hearts to do well. Obviously, Lee Johnson never because he's useless. But the fact is, I want any manager that comes to Hearts to do well. And I think this is why I keep going back to recruitment. It's going to be so important. If he recruits well, then brilliant. But he's going to have a he's going to have a very difficult season because he have to play. We might not last long in Europe, but he's going to have to play European games. Although Frankie Macaulay would take in the team. But he's going to have to compete in Europe. We're going to have to be playing domestic cup games. I've already said on another podcast that for me, I think he has to get to at least a final next season. If he does that, then fine, but he's got to win it as well. But we, I just think it's a gamble we didn't need to take. There was other managers out there with experience that could have taken the job. Chris Wilder was banded about. I probably would have taken him. Um, but there was other managers out there I think we could have gone for. And instead, we've opted for someone that, again... I think it is a massive, massive risk and it is the cheap option, but I'm, I don't know if I'm looking forward to next season, but I just want to see what he's going to do. I mean, if he starts the season well, then great. But I do worry that a, first, a few games that he doesn't win, Hearts fans are getting his back. I won't be one of them because I want to give him time, but he's got to, he's got to recruit well. He has to recruit well. I'm, I'm sorry to jump in. I just wanted to um, correct you there. Um, it can't be you've looked at other managers when you've not appointed Naismith as a manager. He's technical director. So I just wanted to get that in there one last time. <laughs> um, well, Laurie, he's technical think... director, but he's head coach technically for not European games. But again, hips are relevant to me, so it doesn't matter. Um, Laurie, I think you wanted to go in. Yeah, so just on the whole technical director thing, I just, I just think it looks daft. I mean... Personally, I wish Stephen Naismith well, but I, I don't think it's a, really, it's a good look for Hearts at all. And, you know, well, did, do you think Hearts were maybe guilty of maybe putting all their eggs in the Chris Wilder basket, maybe? Or or, or did and budging Cole just fancy, as you say, the cheap option, lazy option, whatever you want to call it? But, I mean, I wish him well, but I just don't... I don't, I don't see it working out at all. And I don't... I don't really think it's... I just don't think it will happen for him because... And then for the players as well, it will just be inconsistent, you know, having Frankie McAvoy, you know, take you in the, you know, conference league or whatever and and then have Nasey in a league game. It would just... It would just not work. It would just be mixed messages all the time and one leading the other. I mean, what's it going to be? Is it going to be a bit like when a man just said to the stand where they have the walkie-talkie? Are we going to have like Stephen Naismith on the walkie-talkie here? And Frankie McAvoy will just do as he's told. I mean, I think, to be honest, Hearts have made some very bizarre decisions over the years. I mean, Ian Cathro, Craig Levine, Robin Nielsen, who I've said I did like, but we have made some very... Daniel Stendhal, we've made some disastrous moments over the years. I just hope this isn't going to be one of those ones as well. It really needs to work. And I think Andrew McKinley and Joe Savage have got to have got to be taking a lot of blame if this doesn't work out. You know, they have to take a lot of the blame because they're the ones that appointed them, essentially. And I know I heard a few folks saying that a lot of folk behind the scenes wanted Naismith. I'd love to know who that was. I'd love to know what the split was between not hiring him and hiring him. But at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, technical director, we all know what, what he's going to be. He won't be in the dugout for the European games, but he'll be the one that's in charge in the domestic games. He'll be making all the decisions, which again is mental. But I honestly, I want this to work. I really do. I want this to work so much. But I'm going to have my doubts until I see 
what he's like in the recruitment, how we do at the start of next season. You know, Aaron said that the fixtures come out, I think, the 30th of June. Those first five fixtures could be, for example, Celtic, Rangers, Hibs, Aberdeen, and let's say Dundee. They're not the easiest fixtures to start off with, so he needs to have a decent run. Because like I say, if he doesn't start well, he'll be under pressure straight away. And that's not what I want. Um, just quickly, Andrew, bring yourself in and then we'll move on to the other side of Edinburgh. Yeah, no problem. Just quickly then. It was just interesting when you're talking there about the start of next season and the league fixtures and you were talking about ambitions for next season winning the Cup. I'm surprised that there's not the ambition that you finished fourth, that the main ambition should be to qualify for the group stages of the Conference League, which requires to get through two qualifying rounds. And actually, it's overdue that a Scottish side is able to do that. United obviously got Alkmaar in that round last year, which was a really tough draw. But the side after that Alkmaar played next if, um, wasn't that big a side. It was a smallish side from Portugal that had never been in Europe before. And actually, really, for because there was such a big noise about finishing third, the money for finishing third, should, should it really not be the focus on, and I suppose Hibs obviously have an additional round, to get into the Conference League by winning two qualifying ties? I know you don't know what draw you're going to get, but potentially two winnable ties, depending on who, who you get. That'll, yeah, be the, that'll be a chat for the, the preview podcast when you're in the Championship. Sorry, mate. No, I mean, it absolutely should be. I mean, I would like to hear, because we haven't heard from Naismith or Frankie McAvoy or Gordon McGuffer yet, I would love to hear what the aims are for next season. And once I hear that, maybe I might start getting a bit more excited for the season, but I need to hear what his aims are, what he wants to do in his summer recruitment, what he wants to do in terms of, I mean, as I say, he has, I think for me, it's been too long since he won a trophy. We need to start winning trophies again. You know, and we need to, we need to finish third again next season. It's going to be hard. Because I'm expecting Aberdeen to be up there again. Hibs will probably be challenging again as well. So I'm expecting another difficult season, but we have to be finishing third next season because the money, the money that is involved in this now for finishing third is massive. And we can't. That's my that point. Again. It doesn't necessarily need to be the money for finishing third. If you finish fourth and win the qualifying ties, you get impact actually you get the you get two extra rounds of qualifying revenue. So the, so I mean it's worth four million quid or whatever you, to, to, to get in. But that surely should be the focus and aim is, is getting through those qualifying ties. I'd like to th- I would like to hope it is. It certainly is for me and a lot of other Hearts fans. And I'm sure that Andrew McKinley, Joe Savage, and Stephen Naismith and that are, are going to be saying that when they come out and eventually speak to the Hearts TV. But yeah, I mean, it is something that we need to be doing. Because again, I mean, this isn't just a Hearts thing. This is everyone in Scotland has got to be doing better in European football to get the coefficient up. Yeah, totally. Because it's been, it's been too long that that's happened. Too many teams in European football when it comes to Scotland they're knocked out far too early and it doesn't set us, it doesn't put us in a good light. Um, right, we'll move on to Hibs and Harry. Um, before we do so, I just need to say that we did everyone a favour in Scottish football by losing to you so heavily because Johnson would have been out. That was the El Sakio game. I, I absolutely was. Um, that, that just kind of, I, I don't understand what the season was. I, I really don't get it at all. Um, I think that, that game, I had, had a lot of fun. Josh Campbell decided to get five goal contributions in the one game, which is something that I don't think anybody expected at the start of the season. Um, but yeah, no, that, that game, that was that was incredible fun. And then, um, yeah, no, look, looking at the season as a whole, though, obviously started off by getting knocked out the League Cup group stage um, after the manager claimed that it was a bogus competition. And it was such a bogus competition, he couldn't qualify through four games against lower league opposition. Um, then we went on a really good run. Then we went on a really bad run. Then a good run and et cetera. Um, I wanted, I, I vocally said on Twitter at least three times that I wanted the manager sacked, two of which were after pathetic performances against Hearts. 
Um, and then, yeah, end, end of the season went really well. We got rid of Ryan Porteous. Well, he, he left the club. And Will Fish, who had probably the worst Hibs performance of the season uh, in the defeat at Tyne Castle when he got thrown on it right back for his debut. Um, everybody wanted him gone. And then he ended up probably being one of our players of the year in the second half of the season. Um, and yeah, like, as, as a Hibs fan, like the main priorities for me are um, finishing in European football, cup runs and good performances in the big games. Um, obviously, Hearts, we got a win and a draw. Um, Celtic, we beat them. Only, only big team in the league we didn't beat was Rangers. Um, but the main sticking point, I've seen Andrew's got his hand up and I, I, I want to question him on this because it's absolutely disgusting at the fact that they got relegated and we only got one point against Dundee United. If we picked up if we picked up all the points we needed against Dundee United, we would have finished bloody third. Like, it's mental. It's, it's been the most erratic season, I think, I've ever experienced as a Hibs fan. I've enjoyed it, um, but I've also hated it. And the main thing for me is we've got European football coming up next. So, yeah, kicking my gas. Um, I think you and what is coming. Yeah, just, Harry, obviously talking about Lee Johnson's kind of up and down season, I think if, you know, Hibs fans had done their homework, that's just Lee Johnson in a nutshell. And in, in management, I think every club he's been at, he, he goes on these mad runs where it's like six defeats on the bounce and then he'll go eight games unbeaten and then he'll lose five on the bounce and then go and win six games on the bounce. Like, he's, he's a proper yo-yo manager in the sense that you never get any form of consistency with him. And I think that's a perfect reflection basically on Hibs' season it is just consistently inconsistent. And it, had he managed to put any sort of consistency together, there was every chance that Hibs could have finished higher than fifth, I think. But I think you guys have also suffered quite badly with injuries, especially in the forward areas throughout the season. Obviously, Boyle coming back, then long-term injury. McGuinness has been out quite a lot. Nisbet obviously it took probably half a season to get him available. So I think Hibs have also suffered in that in that department quite a bit this year. Yeah, no, definitely. Like um I I always try and avoid the injury chat because I think every team in the country, if you speak to them, will say that they've had an injury crisis. It just tends to be the way for a football fan because you notice it in your own players. But realistically, from Johnson's point of view, our best attacking players haven't played together the whole season. I said on the, the podcast at the start of the season, I still stick by it now. Hibs have got the third best squad in the country if they're fully fit. I, I genuinely think if Hibs are fully fit the whole season, I think we cakewalk to third, and I don't think it's remotely close. If you've got Boyle, Nisbet, and which got you and up front, no, nobody in the league's going to keep a clean sheet against you. But we've not experienced that, and unfortunately won't because Nisbet's obviously away down south. Um, and then you throw in the likes of McGeady, who looked really good before he got injured. Kukarevich looked really good. He got injured. Um, it's We were absolutely loaded with players going forward and then we ended up with like no players to play come the end of the season we had three centre-backs the whole season and we didn't have a single injury crisis at the back so yeah no as I, as I say I, I hate excuses I think they're just pathetic but I, I will say in fairness to Lee Johnson I'm, I'm not his biggest fan I, I always try and support them as much as possible but yeah no I, th- I think injuries have been a bit of an issue I think that's a fair comment um, Scott I think you want to win again mate just the same as what I've done there with the Dundee United boy. Harry, thanks for being there to witness James Forrest's 100th goal for Celtic and 100th assist back in October. That made them level with Henrik Larson and Jimmy Johnson, the only three players to ever do it for Celtic. Have you got a like for every club tonight, Scott? Because it's going to get tiring, isn't it? Right. Well, Scott, thank you for coming to Easter Road and getting absolutely spanked about the place by Ellie Yuan. God bless Scott Bain. What a gentleman. Um, yeah, that was that was an embarrassing one for Celtic. League was, good, though. League was done then, son. League was done. 
Uh, I saw Zanj uh, Postacoglu, apparently. <laughs> um, and that's up, Danny. I think you want to go in. Yeah. Um, I'm going to sort of sideline you into giving Johnson some credit here, Harry. Um, because obviously, you've alluded to it, you only had three centre-halves all season. And you managed to... It's going to pay me to say it. Obviously, you lost a very important player to you in January in the centre-half position. So, but where do you actually go next season? Because obviously, Fish is going to go back to... Well, I don't know. Is he, he might be out of contract at United now. I don't know. But is, is there any sort of plan in place there? Um, it's, it's definitely a worry because obviously when you had the impact that alone, like they always say, don't fall in love with lone players, but we had the likes of at one point Yuan, uh, Egan, Riley, Kukarevic, and of course Will Fish. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think Hibs squad wise, we still got quite a young squad of the players that are locked in. We've got them tied in for a couple of extra years. Um, so I, I, I think Hibs could be in a good place. We definitely need to sign centre backs. Um, one thing I'll give Lee Johnson credit for is after the turn of the year, he started playing players in their correct position. <laughs> I mean, that, that was my biggest gripe in the first half of the season. We were inconsistent because he just started from centre centre mids up front. And he started putting centre mids in defence. Uh, it was just ridiculous. Um, but as soon as he actually started playing players in their actual position, um, we started finding a bit of form. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll backhandedly give him uh, some credit for that. But um, in terms of centre-back, I don't know. Um, I've, I've St. Murren got anybody. That's that's probably what I'm going to do most of my marketing. Uh, St. Murren actually aren't on tonight. I'm not even slagging anyone off. Um, I'll take Mark O'Hara from them. I'll take Bacchus as well. And then if they've got any centre-backs I can pinch, I'll, I'll nab one of them as well, just because we're doing our shopping there. So why not pick that up? Well, here they are. Yeah, you're heavily <laughs> rumoured to be after Jack Fitz water from us uh, I, 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 I heard on the grapevine there was a pre-contract but I don't know if that's materialised or not yeah I, I don't mean to disappoint because I know uh, Livingston fans are big fans of Jack Fitzwater but his form in the second half of the season has oh, by the way I agree um, yeah, I, I don't want him anywhere near my club so please sign, sign him on another deal so we don't touch him no, also we were rumoured to sign Johnny Williams from Swindon Town and thankfully Bradford have snapped him up so thank God for that that, would, that was supposed to be our marquee signing I would have literally just handed the season ticket back there and then oh. um, Ross I think it's quite interesting like listening to it because I actually I, I agree with Harry if, like, if, if Hibs had their best 11 fit for the majority of the season they probably would have finished third especially this season with obviously Hearts kind of falling away a wee bit and Aberdeen obviously having a poor start and then obviously Goodwin sacking they bounce back and things like that but it's just looking back to the games they played against County because the start of the season I thought at that point Hibs were the best team I saw playing Dingwall at that point they they played us off the park quite comfortably and then obviously the the game or the second game just before the World Cup, we beat them 2-0 down at Easter Road. It was just it was just totally like chalk and cheese. And as Harry said there, it was like a good run of form. They'd be playing really well and then like a bad run. And then obviously the game just on deadline day, wasn't it? When Danda scored from directly from the corner, which I think you'll have quite a few opinions on whether that should have been allowed or not. But is that just kind of like defining what it was like watching... Hibs this season under Johnson, just like it, it, it would go one month really good, one month bad, good, bad, good, bad. Yeah, no, exactly. Like we started the season off and we went four games unbeaten, including last minute draws against Rangers and uh, Hearts. And we thought, oh, we're off to a pretty good start the season. And then Johnson famously said at the start of the year, um, judge me after 10 games, that's when you'll see the real Hibs. And then we 
for the next 11 games. <laughs> and I was just like, what on earth is actually going on? But one, I, I know I said no excuses, but you've, you've mentioned that. How on earth the referee and the VAR official saw our keeper get speared into the back of the net and didn't give us that. So that's two points dropped. Dundee United away, we scored a goal. And to this day, I still have no idea why the goal was chopped off. And then the next week, they magically bring in VAR. So I was just trying to get Hibs fans on board. Komarnik away, uh, Melkerson onside by about a yard. They call him offside, so Kukarevich gets another goal disallowed. Like... I, I watch I watch a lot of Scottish football and genuinely I think there's no team that's had a worse run of luck with VAR since it's came in than Hibs. Like I, I, every fan's going to say that realistically because yeah. you watch your own team more than most. But even look at the Jago sending off against St Johnston away from home. Yeah. Like there's a lot of terrible decisions that went against Hibs and like as I say, like Lee Johnson, I, I try and be positive for him. There's the excuses there to say that he's actually had a good season, but realistically, with a state of hearts in Aberdeen at times this season, as well as everybody else in the league, there was no reason why Hibs shouldn't have stepped up and taken third, in my opinion. I guess it's, it's a little bit similar to last season in a way that, you know, the bigger teams did struggle and it was then like an opportunity there for other teams in and around them to take advantage of that. But I think there was just too many inconsistencies at points with the, the bigger teams pushing on at that point, so... Um, Graham, the final word on Hibs before the government's team. I just wanted to ask Harry a couple of things. Obviously, Kevin is but could have gone in January. He's now gone. I mean, realistically, how many players do you think Hibs will need to be up to challenge in next season? And also, in a couple of other players as well. If Elian played for Hearts, I would be really frustrated because at times he looks like a world beater and at times he looks like he doesn't care what he's doing. And the other player as well is Harry McCurdy. What are Hibs fans genuine takes on McCurdy? Because every time I've seen the guy, he doesn't look that great, if I'm being honest. Um, so the first one was was it how many players do Hibs need to challenge Hearts or just like challenge for third in general? Just challenge, just challenge for third generally. Aye. Um the, the frustrating thing is I don't actually think we're far away. The, the main problem is all our best players just seem to be injury prone. Like if we had Kyle McGinnis and Martin Boyle fit for the full season, I don't have any doubts that again, like I, I think those two players are impactful enough they could actually make a difference. Um, but I, I reckon we're uh we need a new goalkeeper. We didn't even mention David Marshall. What on earth happened to him in the second half of the season, guys? Oh, my God. Um, so we need a goalkeeper. Um, two forward players, one winger, one striker. I reckon two midfield. Like This is including depth as well. So you know the players that you'll pick up on the cheap that won't play every week, but they'll still be in around the squad. Um, James Jago. Oh, my God. We need any player. We literally need my gran and to replace Jimmy Jago. He is literally the worst Hibs player, the worst footballer I've ever seen at Easter Road. I cannot emphasise how little technical ability the boy has. So I'd, I'd say about four players. If, if it was four really strong players, I'd be really happy with that. Um, the second question was... It, Nisbet? Oh, it, was bit, it was a bit early, Ewan. I just said oh, at, times yeah, it looks, at, times it looks, at times it looks brilliant, and at other times it's like... Doesn't know what he's doing a lot of the time, but he does look a very good player when he's on it. Yeah, no, I, I think he he's one of the ones that the fans when things are good, I'll love him. When things aren't like, it's literally like you know the roller coaster season we've been talking about that uh, Lee Johnson can't even get on because he's too small. Um, like it's literally when things are going good, everybody loves Ellie Yuan because he's just this flashy player. He's the type of player you don't get that many of them in Scottish football these days. It gets the fans on their feet. Like when he gets the ball, everybody's just there. There's an energy about it. Um, but when you're getting beat 6-1 off Celtic and he puts a highlight reel on his Instagram, um, it's very easy to get frustrated with him. Um, and then the last one, Harry McCurdy. Um yeah, it's it's one of those ones because he's got a cool celebration because he's got funky haircuts and the young team especially want him to do well because he's that kind of guy that is funky like, haircuts. 
Sorry, it's an insult to anyone who's lost their hair, what he does yeah. with his hair. It's and, actually, it's insulting. Also, <laughs> celeb- celebration. How have you seen a celebration? I don't think it's going to go. <laughs> it's, it's not scored to go, but he's scored for Swindon for fun, you know, because apparently Hibs loves shopping down there. Um, but, you yeah, know, it's, it's one of those ones that, you know how when it com- comes to Derby Day and you're like, oh, I want that player to score the winner because he's had such a shit season, it would be such a good story if he actually scored it. So the hype around him is so much more. Like at times he comes on, he looks a bit energetic, but he's, he's, he's not done anything to prove to me that he deserves to be um, in our reserves, never mind our first team. Um, so yeah, hopefully he proves us all wrong here and he comes back next season with 15 goals. So um, Right, moving on, Aberdeen, Aaron, I'm sure you'll just want to talk about 2023 as opposed to 2022. Um, yeah, it was the better bit of the season, I think. Post um, February onwards, quite nice. To be honest, the start of the season, like we won what four one St Mirren, a five 0 Livy. Actually, not bad. And I thought, okay, this is all right. Maybe we'd also had the League Cup, so we'd had what four four wins out of four. Didn't concede a single goal. Scored twelve. I thought this is okay. And then we had. An all right-ish start, some like okay results where we were looking so-so. And then Dungeon United, I think, was probably that 4-0 was absolutely horrific. And then we kind of limped on to the World Cup break. We went into the World Cup break third and in a cup semi. And if you'd been offered that in August, you'd have taken it. So that was all fine. And then we came back after the World Cup and um, just packed in. It was atrocious. We lost to Celtic because we decided to defend so far back we're practically in the sea. We lost to Rangers by throwing away two goals in two minutes. That game was one. Nonsense. We went away to St Mirren on Christmas Eve and should have lost 2-1 but lost 3-1 because our keeper went up for a corner at 85 minutes. We lost to Killy uh, away. We then had a painful nil-nil draw with Ross King too at the time where we were kind of atrocious. Graham Shinney came back and we had a... Was that when Shinney came back? Oh, no, then we... then we Oh. No, then we had um, the 10 days of atrocious. Um, yeah, Ross County. Graham Shinney came back and I think it was very much... Uh, I mean, he is an ex player and he's a brilliant captain and I'm delighted he's back but it was very much a morale signing when he signed because we'd come out of a horrendous Christmas spell things were not looking good we beat St Johnston I think that kind of gave a little bit of a boost before the cup semi which we lost Um, and yeah then we went on a run of uh, the worst 10 days in I think the club's history including uh, we shipped 12 goals and we got getting knocked out of the cup by Darvel I think is the worst result in British football history in terms of placings we also uh, got beat and knocked out that Scottish Cup by a team who are advertising for managers and players in their Twitter DMs. It's the most embarrassing thing we've ever done. Uh, the players got booed back onto the park. Um, Darvel, don't recommend. It's nothing there. It's not even a pie. It's awful. Um, horrific. Tynecastle, don't know why I was still there at 90 minutes. Atrocious. Marley Watkins scored a disallowed goal and the Hearts fans cheered. It was genuinely the most embarrassing 10 days I think we've ever had. Um, and then we put out that statement about the football monitoring board, which is less than ideal. Um, Barry Robson came in. We lost us a minute, but first game and things were all a bit a mess and we had two new centre-halves. Um, what did we then have? 
I think we then, oh, we scraped a win against Motherwell, but it was a scraping of a win. We went to Celtic and lost, and I think everyone thought, is this just going to be how it was? You know, with three games, we've scraped a win against a terrible-looking Motherwell, and that was it. And then we went on an absolutely brilliant run. We didn't lose a game for seven. We conceded one, and it was a penalty at Dundee United. We absolutely smashed it. It was brilliant. Um, Post-split has been a bit of a shambles. And, but we got the job done at St Mirren and then the Celtic one were just right off. So I'm Scott, we were on a little holiday and we were giving you a confidence boost before the cup because we needed you to win the cup. So there you go. See? Kind. Um, yeah, brilliant. Europe, fantastic. Third, um, getting you the groups, I think, is outstanding considering we finished second five years ago and had to play Burnley in a first round of playoffs and then we'd have had to play, we'd got through that, another two legs to get into the group. So... Guaranteed group football in third place, I think, is brilliant. And I think we um, thoroughly deserve it for turning things around. The manager of the month thing is inter- uh, the year thing is interesting because I do kind of see where people are coming from. But how many clubs managers last the full season? So then just what does it just become? It has to be out of those managers and then who you left with. Lee Johnson, by the way, he was getting sacked if you'd lost that game Easter Road. That was... Uh, it was the El Sacico of Scottish football. He was definitely gone if you'd lost that. So, um, yeah, I, I think he has had a brilliant, brilliant run. And I am um, hopeful about next season. I think there'll be some signings coming up um, and record season ticket sales. Things are looking good. There's a lot of positivity around the club. And, yeah, genuinely pretty delighted. Barry, you have some hot takes, and earlier on you alluded to the fact that maybe the appointment of Barry Robson is not the correct one. Um, yeah, so I, w- I want to start off by um, saying congratulations for refusing to finish third and finishing third. I think that's the first time I've ever seen that happen. Um, also, I've, I've got a lot of takes about Aberdeen. Was it Anthony Stewart, the guy that captained first half of the season, or correct? Yeah. Captain, we loaned out, add that to the list of 10 I, I, I think that he goes understated as one of the worst players to ever grace Scottish football. I've oh. never seen such a humpty looking player in all my life. Like, I, I think if, if good if Goodwin had put himself on the pitch instead of playing him week in, week out, he'd still be in a job and Aberdeen would have comfortably finished third. Like, it was that bad. Um, secondly, oh, no, Lord, by the way, he's technically coming back. We gave um, him about a 25 year deal or something. People try say, try and try and steal that. his passport or something and keep him in there because he should not well, be playing anywhere near Scottish football. Doesn't deserve it. There that think he's good. I've seen it on Twitter and I'm trying to encourage it. I think donkey, like absolute donkey. Um, also, let's let's get on to Robson. Um, that's that's just a bad appointment. Like there's there's so many managers out there with a lot of experience. It screams of that glass that you appointed the year before. It's a boy who's cushy with a chairman and he's just going to bring him in as an easy option. I think fair enough. He went on a good run, but it, it was like. There's no easy runs in football, but as as it goes, the teams you were playing were really poor. Fair enough, the, the, the win against Rangers was really good, but Aberdeen in that game we drew 0-0, woeful. The game he's got battered at Tynecastle, horrendous. The game at Celtic Park, even worse. Like, fair I enough, you beat St. Murren. run was Livy, not rubbish. Dundee United away. Livy second half of the season. Dundee United got relegated. Dundee United away, stressful. Hearts, home. St. Johnston away. Pilly at home, fighting to stay up. Ross County away, Dingwall is not easy. And then Rangers. Dingwall is the only game in there. Dingwall and Rangers are the only games in there that use, uh, that were that were difficult. I'll, I'll give you Dingwall is not an easy place to go because it's, it's a trek in that. But St. Johnston, 
I, I, I can't even talk about that appointment. That's even worse somehow. Danny, what's going on there? You'll, you'll get your chance we'll, to we'll say get, that. Yeah, later. we'll get to um, Aye. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I just wanted to say, I, I think that I'd, I'd be very shocked if by the, unless Aberdeen make a lot of very good signings and spent even more money than he's did this season, I, th- I think Aberdeen are, will struggle to finish top five. I, th- I think Aberdeen could be a surprise package to finish bottom six alongside Harps. I, th- I think that the Premier League is going to be an absolute shambles next year because teams just keep appointing horrendous managers. Uh, we had a stab at it and he's, he's at least he's sticking around there. Eh? So we, we're on for the roller coaster. We know what to expect. But I bet we finish higher than Hibs. I think we'll finish. I think we'll finish second. Maybe in the championship the next game, yeah, but definitely no next season. <laughs> we, won't be, we won't be going down. We've never been to the championship, and we don't fancy yeah. it. But there's a Robson. There's a way. That's my take. I, I think he is genuinely. I mean, I could understand if like Scott was maybe saying this, but I don't think your manager's that good. I know. I don't think he's that good, but at least I know that. Like Aberdeen fans think this boy's a world beater. I think he's horrendous. Like. I'll stop. I've, I've said. I've said. I think Steve Agnew is brilliant. I think Steve Agnew is very good, and I think him staying is is a um, well. I think we weren't sure if he was staying, and then he said he was, and that's great. I think generally fine. I mean, good when I thought was going to be good because I think he did well at Simon with no money, and I thought well, he was going to come to a club with a bit of money. No, um, Stephen Glass shouldn't have happened, but yeah, I think. I mean, I think I think we'll be all right. I like Duke. Duke's good. There you go. It's absolutely outstanding. And Leeson Clarkson is brilliant as well. And Shinny coming back, I think, is really good. And I think people were saying, oh, you can't make a lone player your captain. If you loan out your actual captain, you can do what you like. That, um, isn't, that isn't bad. We've had, we've had, I would say, had we not finished third and if we'd been scraping around the bottom again, I would have been saying this is our, our banter years, but we've saved it. I wasn't actually that worried this season about a relegation the way I was last season because I think there were enough teams worse than us. Dundee United looked awful. St Johnston looked bad. Kelly didn't look great. Ross County looked pretty poor. So I wasn't worried about going down. But if you told me after that 10 days, we'd get a third. Never. Brilliant. Um, you and I, you want to come? Yeah, Erin, you mentioned about Goodwin being a good appointment because he's worked with no money yet. He had double the budget that David Martindale's ever had and never finished above him in his, in his managerial career. But yeah, kind of talking about the Robson appointment. Like Aberdeen have gone with a glass one, and he came in promising this sexy brand of football. Goodwin then tried it as well. The Robson appointment reeks for me if they've gone back to the Derek McInnes style a little bit, in my opinion. And how long is he going to last? Given that Aberdeen fans absolutely hounded out McInnes after seven years of relative success, that Aberdeen consistently getting into the latter stages of cup competitions. I know. You could probably argue maybe should have won more cup competitions than he did in those seven years. But is it how long does Robson actually last when he has a bad run of form? Because Aberdeen fans are difficult to please at the best of times. And if Robson's going with a similar style, like I was I was up at Pataudry doing commentary when uh, we lost one nil up there, and it was such a McInnes like Aberdeen side. And I just think if they have a bad run of form, the Aberdeen fans are going to be after Robson like they were with McInnes. Yeah, I mean, no manager's job is ever safe, is it? Football is a fickle sport. But I think it is a little bit McInnes-y, but I think the beginning of McInnes was pretty good. So I'm not actually that concerned about it insofar as I think 
at the moment, the football's been quite good. We've been playing quite nicely. We look fairly, I would say, um, well, fairly comfortable, um, I suppose, as much as you can when he's obviously not signed most of those, well, he's not really signed any of those players. So I think that'll be interesting in the um, summer to see who he brings in because that'll make a big difference um, to... I suppose the squad because there are lots of lone players, so there'll be a few changes, and that'll be an, that that will be an interesting test, I suppose, to see what the signings are like. Derek McInnes' signings were laterally horrendous, so can't be much worse. And Amsterdam's terrible. And um, I'm not sure which one nil game you're referring to, by the way. I don't think we only ever beat you one nil. I think it was three at Pataudry and two at Pataudry, maybe. No, no, one nil. Miofsky scored right on half time. No, not this. I, I commentated on it, so I do remember it. <laughs> <laughs> when was that? The October one. That was a uh, that was February time, March time. What do you mean? March was a three 0 February it would have been. Uh, we played you in March in the league, and we've it was played. Like we've played three games against this season. The five 0 at Pataudry, we beat you two one, where there was penalties every five minutes, and then one 0 I think it was 5-0 at Tyne Castle, 2-1 at Tyne Castle, 2-0 and 3-0 at Pataudry. I don't know how it can um, be 2-0 and 3-0 at Pataudry. We only played you three times. I <laughs> it could have been at Tyne Castle either if you and a Livingston fan. Oh, sorry. Um, that's my confusion. The Liv- oh, the... Um, sorry, I was... Um, I'm in a small screen. Yes, um, I think in terms of teams that we have been good against we have been good against Rangers which is big and the fans want that we have not actually been brilliant against some of the lower teams we have had a pretty I mean the Dundee United win was worrying at first because it didn't look like we're actually going to win that and we hadn't won an away game in forever and it was quite stressful we had a what else St Johnston was a 1-0 and it was really edgy towards the end like I don't think we're brilliant but I do think the difference between where we were at and then going on a seven-game run is really good. And I think when you get a new manager, the, the, the split games weren't brilliant, but we've got third and now we have the summer to kind of regroup. And I do think that realistically, if we have some all right signings, I think we'll be, I think, probably top three. Um, I know there's a few questions, but I might move on in this club just because of time-wise, if that's all right. And like I said, it's something they really important they want to say. Laurie, Graham, I know you've got your hands up. No, nothing really too important, but just, I mean, just quickly, as you were saying about um, Barry Robson still being a bit Derek McInnes late, is that good news, bad news? Is there anything I can take from that from a Kelly perspective? Well, I think, um... it all starts to go south. McInnes was really good at the beginning and it just got a little bit samey and we ran out of ideas and then the signings just fell. I mean, they were awful. Some of the signings towards the end were ludicrous. Yeah, um, no, what do you think? McInnes, um, I said Killy would stay up because I said he will do enough to grind out points, particularly at home. It won't be pretty, but he will get you points. Consistently, we finished pretty high and we did all right. And I think McInnes... Because of how it kind of ended, probably fans are a little bit more critical of him than maybe is fair. Yeah, I think I think that summed up pretty well. And what you said is pretty much spot on. Points at home and that was it really. But 
what he said about the recruitment is, we'll go on to Kelly in a minute, but what he said about the recruitment is that's quite worrying because obviously Derek has not so long ago brought in his uh, recruitment guy from Aberdeen, Ross Richardson, or his name and shame him here. And then um, what what he said there wasn't exactly a great endorsement of him, Erin, no? He is, um, to be honest, he made some decent enough signings and we had a really good squad at a few points, but towards the end, I'm not sure if it was to do with how much money was available or if we were just, I mean, he likes to sign. See if, see if you play someone, by the way, and a player in the other team has one good game, you'll sign them right up. Curtis May, Stevie May. Turns out they were terrible. Yeah, so that, although Derek McInnes did do that actually with uh, with Kerr McEnroy when he, he was at Air United last evening in the, in the championship, played really well against us, scored against us, and then Derek signed him up. And you look, you look at the guys played ten games. You know, he loves to do that. So be wary of that because it's oh, that's how we end up with yeah, Stevie May. Uh, Curtis Main, someone who has a good game, he's like, oh, sign them because they're good. I'm not. Maybe he doesn't watch games unless it's his own team, so maybe he never sees them in other matches. And he has no idea. Yeah. We'll move on to another club that changed managers, uh, Rangers, and was that a good season? Or not? Uh, no, it wasn't, John. Uh, mainly because we didn't win the league, and and of course other trophies as well were up for grabs, but. Uh, and in terms of the first manager we had at the start of the season, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, um, I don't know, it, it all started badly with the sort of way he went about the pre-season in terms of there was more ball work rather than fitness. As as most people know, it's sort of your players are running to the ground to get the players fit and prepare for the season ahead. But for whatever reason, that wasn't the, the, uh, the idea that Van Bronckhorst had. Um, qualified for the Champions League uh, assumed that he was getting money to spend to strengthen the team for the, the Champions League group stage and, and domestically and didn't get it um, then obviously a, a lot of poor results throughout the season in Europe disastrous results uh, you know d- d- domestically in the league Um the game of Parkhead early on in the season uh, just collapsed. You know, obviously Celtic were very good on the day, but it was also how bad Rangers actually were as well, which was very surprising <laughs> at that stage. But, um, you know, it just it didn't work out for him. As has been discussed previously with other fans, did the players stop playing for him? Possibly. Who knows? And, um, Obviously, he left in November and uh, brought in well, brought in Michael Bale, uh, who who had been at the club before us as, as a coach, and um, he brought in a couple of players who have sort of improved the team a bit. But you know, again, it's it's frustrating um, th- throughout the season watching you know the, the way the performances have been and as. Harry, the house fan, was saying earlier, you can make excuses for this player, that player, injury crisis, or whatever you may be, but it's just, it hasn't been good enough. And, um, you know, right right throughout the season, there have been disappointing results. Uh, you could mainly point against Celtic, but even 
games against the likes of Aberdeen and Pataudry towards the end of the season. Um, it's hard to think of, of which ones. There's, there's been quite a few uh, through the season, but, you know, just over, overall, it's, has, it's been a, this is a very disappointing season, just mainly because both, well, uh, mainly speaking on behalf of Rangers, uh, that we didn't win the league, and that's that's the bread and butter for ourselves and, and also Celtic as well. But um, no, it's it's obviously been disappointing, but hopefully things change next season and, and we do win the league and, and perform better throughout the season. Do you think Beale is an improvement, Andy? Because it doesn't seem on the face of it like it's a huge difference. And I know that obviously he's not been there long and things, and he'll have the summer to kind of get players in and all of that. And that's, that is when you kind of, I suppose, see what the difference might be. But did you want Bronkers when Bronkers gone? Did, is Beale is he better? Aaron, it's hard. It's hard to say. It's that's a good question. It's hard to say. I think they're two different coaches, as they're labelled now, um, different styles of play and stuff. I think Bill is is very from reading and, and hearing bits about his previous coaching roles throughout football. He's he's very tactical, knowledgeable, and stuff like that. There, but obviously the summer's massive here for him. He's fans have cried out for this current manager will be backed and he, he has or he will be backed financially or whatever it might be. I know it's been free transfer up to now, but I think there'll be a wee bit of money there in, in the pot, not too much, but you know, we, we've wasted money on players, just signing players, and we really have to get it right this summer. And Obviously, as, as I say, the league's, the league's the bread and butter, you know, if, if he doesn't get off to the best that starts next season in terms of the league or European football or whatever it may be, he's, he's under serious pressure because of the money you probably will get to spend. And as you know, at Rangers or Celtic mainly, you don't get time to, to bet in players or whatever it may be. You're under pressure every every week or every game from the fans because it's just demand success and, and uh, good performances. Um, I think you're in white to come in. Yeah, just kind of like on Van Bronckhorst, I think it was just before the World Cup break, we played at Ibrox and scored early doors and it took us going down to 10 men in a 91st minute equaliser. But it's the most comfortable outing I think I've ever seen us have away at the old farm. Because like, Rangers were just so predictable. It just started off Barisic, move across Tavernier, move across again, Barisic, move across, and then across from deep. And it was, I think, Van Bronckhorst's style reflects in the fact that he was successful in knockout competitions. I, th- I think it kind of reflects on, obviously, the, the run to Europa League final with Scottish Cup victory and then obviously making it through into the group stages of the Champions League. But his style of football was just not entertaining at all and I think that was probably his, his biggest downfall because I think he, he only lost to Celtic and St Johnston domestically I think of the yeah. only only teams he actually lost to but you, you talk about Rangers season being horrendous and you know I, I kind of get it to an extent obviously Rangers you need to win trophies for it to be any form of successful season but I think the points tally would it not have won the league in five of the last ten seasons 
or something yeah. like that. So, I mean, it's granted, obviously, you've not won anything, but there's kind of a degree where you think you might be able to. Do you think you can claw Celtic back next season? Like, obviously, you've you've accumulated a points total, which would have done enough to win a league title in in five of the last ten seasons. First and foremost, Ian, uh just regarding the the way the football is played under Van Bronckhorst, it was it was very poor to watch. It was, you know, similar as you say, Tavernier across the Barsets, puts it in whatever it might be. It just wasn't good enough to watch, uh, and that was, I think, the downfall for him as well. Um, don't get me wrong, Bill came in and, and has changed things and and has got his plan better to a certain extent but again it's it's maybe it's me just being greedy and expecting too much and the same way a lot of Rangers fans it's just as, as you said there if you don't win trophies it's, it's not good enough and you're not going to last long at, at the club if that's player or manager wise it's 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 just the way it is at, at Rangers and, and also Celtic as well Um, I think we will run Celtic close it's it's very hard to call because yes we need to strengthen but also Celtic from a strong position will could could well sell key assets or or any sort of player and, and get good value for them but they'll also bring in players of good quality as well as as we've seen in the past two seasons. Um, talk about Celtic, Scott. For me, mate, uh, just going back to Van Bronckhorst for you, well, um, one of the guys I work with who watches Rangers week and make it. Here it's the reckon that they never had any style, as you say, the way they played. These things happen over time, but obviously looking at the season they had before, won the Scottish Cup first time since God knows how long. And then obviously got to the Europa League final. That's that's massive. I think it was the um, first Scottish Cup in their history, Scott, I think uh, I'm right in saying. Well, it's not for me to say that kind of thing, Ewan, but uh, we're only one league title away for catching up with Old Co, but that was, that's for another day. Um, but re- realistically, when you look back at how long Gerrard had, Gerrard had three years to win the league with Rangers. And they stuck by him by that. If they can't stick by a manager that's taken them to a European final, I think that's, that's crazy. But anyway, on to Michael Beal. Beal, for me, he's came out shooting for Celtic as soon as he's came in the job. And when you come into a job like that, instead of trying to get, try to get, well, I think they call it staunch points, whatever it's coming out with, and bringing back the brown brogues, and he should have just went about his own business, and he should have just have kept himself kind of quiet, kept himself stum, and then this is the time now that he could build his own team and try and win something if, if they're willing to spend the money to replace the players that went missing. Um, I've seen a few players that are meant to be coming in or rumoured to be coming in and have been relegated for their clubs in Italy and that's not really the kind of thing that Rangers should be going for they should be going for leaders that are used to winning games rather than players that are used to losing games but that's my opinion uh, my opinion on your season at Selmate is it kind of changed the the big game the biggest game for me personally Celtic was a game at Ibrox at, at New Year that could have changed the full dynamic and it never Rangers couldn't stay 2-1 up what was it the last kick of the ball Kyogo scores I think it was just that was that was a big time for you and it never sat in for you yeah listen for, for a point there mate um, just as I say get, 
getting the Europa League final last season was obviously great, but heartbreaking not not to win it. You know, as you've you've been there yourself before, getting the UEFA Cup final, great. But if you don't win it, it's, it's not much to talk about, is there really? But um, just yeah, I think I think that I wouldn't. I don't know if the season changed or whatever, but you're saying about players leaving and stuff, like McGregor, Arfield, Kent Morales, all big name players. And who who may be looking at? It's hard to say. What you know? I judge them at how they play at, at our club rather than their previous goal tally or performance wise. Like Todd Cantwell, perfect example. wasn't doing it in Norwich. wasn't working out for him. hadn't scored in a year and a half, whatever it was, and and has came to Rangers and sort of raised out of his career, sort of thing. But um, and in terms of the January game. I, I maintain, I said this in the podcast last, or earlier on in the season, sorry. You know, Celtic, I think, had Jota and one or two others on the bench that day. It was who they were able to bring, yourselves able to bring off the bench to sort of strengthen the, the, the team. And, and I think that was the difference as well. Overall in the season, Celtic, yes, have a good, very strong starting eleven, but it's who you guys can bring off the bench and, and add a bit of quality and, and steel and stuff like that there, leadership as well, you know, right throughout that team. There's there's not enough leadership throughout the Rangers team and there hasn't been for a recent two, three years, in, in my opinion anyway, but next season's massive for ourselves, obviously for, for Celtic as well, bringing in a new manager, whoever it's going to be, defending the title to try and retain it and, and pushing on, but you know, obviously, I hope Rangers do bring you know success and win the league. But it's a it's a big uh, season ahead for the the manager and and the players and also the players that will be brought in as well. Uh, Danny, I think you had a point to make. Uh, yeah, co- <clears throat> sorry, a uh, couple of points. Firstly, I'm very excited for Bale against Rogers next season, and you know the big gobshite off. Um, but no, on a serious point, um, Andy. What look at next season, what constitutes sort of maybe not a successful season, what constitutes progress for Beale? Is it a cup win? Is it a run in Europe? I, I know you want to say winning the league, but I mean, that I'd probably say that constitutes a successful season. What failing, you know, winning the league, what buys him a bit of time? Um, I'm not so sure. I think the obvious answer is, you know, winning the league and, mm. and plus others, but the league is a must. But I, I don't know if, if he was to go and win the League Cup and the Scottish Cup and a run in Europe, whatever competition that may be. But um, it, it may be by time if we don't win the league. But again, he, he knows himself and I think everybody knows that the league is a must. And given the way... Yeah, obviously Celtic have, have played very well the past two seasons and, and won the title. It's the way Rangers have sort of not handled it to them, but the way we've sort of I don't know give away silly points or whatever. It's it's been disappointing. So I keep repeating myself, but the bread and butter is the league title, and and it has to happen next season. Whether whether it will or not, obviously it remains to be seen, but. It's a big task for, for Bale and 
and right throughout the club board members or whatever, given us you change of board or whatever you may have, it's it's a big season ahead. Uh, we'll move on to St. Johnson actually another club obviously kind of changed manager was it left too late to change manager obviously you stayed up but should it have been made earlier the change oh yeah should have made months earlier um, do you know what that it, it did in the end it did it wasn't really causing a split in the fan base I think the vast majority there was still a few Davidson devotees out there who were clearly suffering with glaucoma because they weren't if, if they thought he should have stayed on having to watch that every week. But I, for probably from from getting knocked out at the Scottish Cup by Kelty last season, there was that there was a split, basically. I me being a professional sort of fence sitter um did just that. In, in all honesty, from that Kelty game, he was on a stay of execution for what would that have been? 15 months or so, 16 months. Um, yeah, I mean, it was this season just, it's weird because we had actually, we had a dead good run before the World Cup and that probably kept us up in the end. But that's only because we lost every single game either side of it. We went from we went seven months between without winning a game at home. From November the sixth to beating Rangers on November the sixth to beating Dundee United. Yeah. <laughs> He's nodding along. Um to beating Dundee United on May the sixth. We didn't win a home game and picked up three points in that time. It was just, it was, it was just torture. And the, actually, the writing was on the wall for how the season was going to go. Going back to the League Cup campaign, because he played five at the back against um, Anon Athletic and drew nil nil and lost a bonus point penalty shootout. We somehow win with a chance going into the last game of the League Cup. Um, we, we needed to score three goals against there. Graham Carey scored in the first minute and then we sat back for 89 minutes and didn't have another shot on goal. It was just... It, it was a mess. And it, I'm trying not to ramble on about Davidson too much here because ultimately... He did win us a double... And what I've sort of said all along is if we won double and then finished seventh and sixth or something in the table, it'd be relevant. It'd maybe be, you know, oh, he might be able to get us back to, or he might be able to get back to progressing and all that. But we won a double and then finished 11th and stayed up because Inverness were knackered. And then we were hurtling this season. Dundee United's post-split form probably would have meant another playoff. Um, sorry, not me to kick you when you're down, Andrew. But no, no, you, you, Davidson was sacked when you were on 32 points, and uh, we finished with 31 points. Yeah. So yeah. 
but you never know that first game post split. I, I think yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he could, yeah, he could have been in charge because I, I yeah. said before that if it'd been sacked, then you you would have stayed up anyway. But actually, that's right. They did. St. Johnson did beat United in that. But, yeah, but I mean, you, I mean, you would have you would have needed two points. He would have probably got it. He probably yeah, he probably would have done. Um, I don't know though. I, I genuinely didn't really see where they were coming from, but I, I just think as well to maybe go away from Davidson, the whole structure at the club has sort of since changed um, towards the end of the season. It got, I mean, I'm going to be careful what I say because I know a lot of people that were involved and are involved now and I get on with them, um, like all of them, but looking at it from a governance perspective, it was like, I, I don't know how it was functioning because you had the chairman who was basically non-existent in the end. He was there, but he'd reti- he, in his head, I think he'd retired two years ago. So he, he had this head of operations who was basically a proxy for him. Um, then you had a head of football operations, Gus McPherson, who have a lot of time for Gus, but he's in like an admin role. For a while, there was a head of recruitment. And then you had a manager who basically had carte blanche over the whole club. And how he had that, I don't know. But thankfully, this is the one positive going forward, or one of a couple of positives, hopefully. But the sort of structure of the club's been simplified. Um we oh we, the best thing is we had this outside media consultant who was highest paid person at the club I think because he was on a consultant's fee, but he didn't work for the club and he was line managing people. Like I I don't know how it worked, and that's where a lot of like the bad feeling this season's um, come from really because communication has been crap. I mean we managed to his final act this media consultant was. To, announced that our most successful ever player was leaving the club as part of the retained list. Like, that was pretty guff. But anyway, that's off my chest now. Um, We stayed up. It was rubbish to watch. Don't know how we did it. Sorry, when you go, Danny. Yeah. No, no, I'm finishing up. We stayed up. We were rubbish. Don't know how we did it. But um, it was, post-split was a bit of a laugh. Is there any truth in the reports that that season you'll be called Shake Johnson as opposed to <laughs> St. Johnson? The I think reports. that's... I don't know if heard about the reports that Newcastle were interested in having St. Johnson as part of their, I don't know, feeder system. I, th- I think that's someone at it, if I'm being honest, John. But... Um... See, I always thought being the Arabs, we must have some link to some kind of dodgy money. <laughs> least, but it's never happened. But yeah, St. Johnson is the live the live golf of the SPFL. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> no, uh, it won't. Be, it won't be to my taste. I must admit. But um, yeah, uh, I think that's someone at it. The, do you know what the this takeover? I don't. I don't know when it's going to happen or what's going to happen, but. The big attractive feature of that whole takeover is that this probably says an awful lot. Um, 
The attractive feature that takeover isn't the club, it's the land that McDermott sits on, which is worth way more than the club. So, yeah, it's um, strange. It, it, it's uncertain times, but, um, yeah, if we were... Yeah, if the shakes came in, that would... Um, I suppose we'd have a laugh for a couple of years before the whole thing went under. Um, you and I think you like to make a point. Yeah, Danny, obviously on like Callum Davidson, his first season, I, I mean, it's impossible to ever replicate what he did in his first season. I won in the cup double and finishing fifth. But I mean, I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong. The expectation probably at St. Johnston is staying in the league each season, albeit probably comfortably staying in the league each season and every now and then pushing on top six. And I think the the kind of decline from that first season was so drastic. And particularly, like you mentioned about the home form, even the, the, the double winning season, was it not something like you scored nine home goals in the league yeah. all season? It was like, even then, it's quite, that, that quite season startling. Was- the, the season they won the double, they scored nine goals in the league, which is the lowest amount of goals any side in the history of Scottish League football has ever scored, which is a pretty mental stat when you consider it's the most successful season yeah. pretty much so, ever as well. Oh, yeah. So I think, you know, it was certainly from, like, at a similar time, I think Robbie Nielsen got sacked. And you could, I think a lot of folk could probably argue that that was quite harsh on Nielsen, given it was probably his first bad run of results at Hearts. And every season at Hearts, they'd had relative success, i.e. two cup finals, two promotions, two third-place finishes, whilst I think he'd had, as you mentioned, kind of 18 months off really poor kind of performances. And I think it was a case that you can't kind of live on that cup double forever. And it probably was the right the right call to get rid of Davidson when you did. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you will have been at the same game I was his last game. Oh, um, that, that that looked like a manager oh, that knew his time was up, you know, how, you, he, how he went off the bat. Do you know what, as well, Ewan? That was, that was horrible. I ended up sort of, when the board went up, I think a few folks stayed and saw him going over and clapping the fans. I actually, I was sat on, I was sat back on the bus bar at that point. Um, don't, not necessarily because of, it was crap on the pitch. That was part of it. Just the away end, was, oh, it was minging. The atmosphere, minging vibes, I think we'd, uh, we'd say. It was it was horrible. And it sort of got like that. I, I think with Callum, I think there is a manager in there somewhere. And I hope that now he's out of the fire, you know, out of the firing line, he can take a bit of time and look at mistakes he made sort of repeatedly. Um. Because that Livy game, he said, oh, I try to simplify it. He was playing two wingers at fullback. I, I don't really know. And about three other lads out of position. I don't well, really that, know that was the thing. Even in it. that game, he's put Dre right at right back up against Nubley, which is just a complete oh, you know, mess. Yeah. yeah. So I hope that now he's out. Of, I think the problem was at Saints, I think he'd been given a bit too much power. I think he'd been given sort of probably because of his status as a player and then with a double. Yeah, I think, and it had all got a bit, to be honest with you, not mean it slagged the guy off, but when we were, because we did a Saints podcast, when we were going through like, when we're getting to cup finals and stuff like that, that season, what was happening was 
we were going to media guys at the club. We were saying, right, um, who can you get us? And like, we're getting a current player pretty much every week. And then all of a sudden it stopped. And we're like, what's what's happened? Like, I went to the media lab at the time and he, we just said, oh, what's happening here? And he's like, oh, the manager's um, halted it. I, was, I didn't even know the manager was getting involved in this. So why is he getting involved? And he sort of closed... <sighs> It sort of closed wagons and it, I don't know whether he created divisions in the dressing room, but I think there was certainly divisions between the coach and staff. Um, so, yeah. So not Maybe not between the coach and staff, but the coach and staff were very loyal to Davidson and the players, I think, in the end. Well, you can tell they just jacked it. So, it was... Um, yeah, it was an unfortunate. It was the ultimate thing about it was it was sad because nobody could have ever seen it going that way two years ago, and also nobody really wanted it to go that way because he he genuinely does love the club and he was obviously a great sort of playing legend. It's got, it's got a touch of Stevie Hamill's about it. Where it has does, a little it? bit, yeah, yeah. I think when Andy was going on about he's, him before, he's somebody that you obviously wanted to be successful. Obviously, a very good player for the club. He was, I'm sure, was he assistant manager for the club yeah, in yeah, 2014 we as well? Yeah, so, he, yeah. like, he's obviously got kind of saints through and through, and like, a bit like Stevie Hamill with Motherwell. It's one of those ones where you're desperate for the guy to be successful, but there comes a point where you know you need to kind of cut the loyalty, don't you? That's it. I mean, and then you appoint his assistant manager. We'll uh, we'll see what happens with that. It's a trend, doesn't it? Seems to be in fashion. It is a fashion. Whatever reason. Um, is, I know you've got to move on just very quick. Is Nutch um, Davidson too? And so far as I reckon, there's a chance there'll be a stand named after him at McDermott Park one day. So like, it's it's, it's yeah. crazy. And so I think it will be, and or um, when they flatten McDermott Park out at the Bridge of Ern Arena. Um, or if we've got a spare scrap of cheap land in Perth, but yeah, it's um, he, he is a he is a club legend, and I think probably actually did him a bit of a favour getting the bullet when he did because he didn't have relegation on his um on his CV and or on his reputation. I always feel he should have left after the playoff. I, I, I feel he should should have gone out on a a sort of high. At St. George, then even though it was finishing second bottom, but obviously kind of that yeah. for a playoff kind of win. Honestly, it was like winning a. I remember going away from McDermott that night, and it, you did feel like it's a really it's an ace way to stay up, like because it does feel a bit like a cup final. But um, yeah, but I think actually, as you sort of alluded to there, you and that sort of skewed the perception a little bit because it was. It was that buzz, but actually, you know, you should come away thinking we finished second. Yeah, we finished second bottom. Uh, we'll move on to Kilmarnock. So after the drama of last season in the Championship, we managed to get promoted the second and last game of the season. It then went to the wilder season in terms of staying up. How do you feel the season went, Laurie? So actually, I don't think it went quite as well as as I hoped it was going to as much, of course, as I knew with most of the side. Most of the time, your aim is just to stay in the league, you know, just consolidate, 
I don't know whether it was false optimism or whatever, but Kelly fans, myself included, thought we would actually do a heck of a lot better than that. But a recruitment, you know, last summer was was questionable to say the least. I mean, there was a few kind of gems out of it, but recruitment was awful. And we basically went into it with a championship squad and we were pretty close to paying the price. I mean, I wouldn't say there was much between ourselves and, and Ross County. You know, it's done United as well. I mean, as bad as as bad as United were. Sorry, Andrew, but we we were much better to be honest, and, and that must be infuriating for you. You know, no massively. I mean, because I mean, you know, if we'd uh, one at one point in the final day of the season, and um, when um, we were winning Murrow, we were effectively buying County on goal difference. And you know, if we'd beaten, essentially, it was the post-split form, right? Because you know, up to that point, you know, a couple, and that's it. You all cut each other's throats, and we had the wrong time to go on an absolutely rank rotten run. But yeah, I mean you're right, there's not much between the teams as as was shown by the fact it went to the final week of the season. Yeah, we were we were dreadful. I'm not going to, to hasten that offence you of course at all. I mean, the worst away record by a country mile, that was that was pathetic. If it if it wasn't for that though, you never know. We could have we could have been perfectly safe and you never know. Maybe roughly where Livy ended up. Or, or, or even Motherwell, you know, it's, we could have been that kind of solid mid-table side if we had decent-ish away form. That was really, really the killer for us because at Rugby Park, we were relatively decent apart from uh, the, the two games against Celtic, which I'm, I'm surprised uh, I'm surprised Scott hasn't brought them up already because that smashed us at Rugby Park. But, but yeah, um, not, not great. Just hoping for Hoping for a, a, a well less stressful season next year. We went easier near that day, mate, when we kind of laid off after the scudding in the first half. Ah, uh, he's he's dead. He's absolutely dead. I mean, I was, I was delighted he kind of went easy on us because that was that was seriously looking like it was going in. I don't know, potentially turn into almost a repeat of that Dundee United game from from August. It was. It was looking that way. I mean, and after that game, I was actually live on the radio, HBSA, Hospital Broadcasting Service, I'm sure. And, and we've actually, I'm not part of it, but we've actually got our uh, commentary team for the Kelly Home games. And I felt terrible for those boys. If any of them listen, I mean, great work that you do. But, you know, it's, I, I really didn't want to be, I really wouldn't want to be in their position commentating on that. From a Kelly perspective, because it's embarrassing that Celtic won't go into them in a minute. But I mean, Celtic are an exception side. You basically have to just sit there and applaud, to be honest. I mean, it was the last game there at Rugby Park, the 4 1 game, mate. That was, that was mental that we were 4, four nothing up after 27 minutes. That's that, just, it should have, we should have kept the foot in the gas. But to be fair, it's reached the end of the season, our seasons. No, no, done. But they'll be trying to keep their legs fresh, and you've yeah. you've came away with a goal to kind of start it, making feel a wee bit dodgy. Aye, that was that was it. I mean, but the fact we did it, we did this against Dundee United as well earlier in the season. The fact we had to make a couple of first half subs to show how bad we were. I think when we when we were away at Tannadice and got smashed four 0 I think it was three subs we made after half an hour. I think 
Yeah. Andrew might be able to correct me. No, no, that's right. Yeah, he made a tri- he made a triple substitution, which I mean, it was I think he was just proving the point because we're fifteen 0 down. But but Laurie, I was going to quickly ask you just on my perception looking from the outside in was that last season McInnes's remit obviously was to get out when he came in from right, but a lot of the players were under two year contracts, so his hands are somewhat tied with the squad this year. And there was the way he huffed and puffed to the championship, there was a perception it wasn't that great a group of players. So actually, you know, tenth is actually maybe a reasonably good season in that sense but now I think the squad list 15 have gone out type thing the difficulty that we don't have because only four have gone out United I think 15 have gone out at Kelly and really it's now about McInnes building his own side uh, for next yeah. season and curious as to what I, I, maybe I'm wrong but I think tenth is actually for a Kilmarnock fan you probably yeah that's fine given the squad we had but if that's right what's the target for next season yeah just first off for what you said I actually agree as much as I'm saying it was disappointing season Disappointing in the fact that we expected better, but from actually, from actually watching how we performed this season, I'm more than happy with with them. I mean, the, what you said about the two year contracts, at least in my view, anyway, is is spot on. What we what we did was, in my view, quite bad business. So it was a bunch of championship players on you know two year deals, some of whom um, had like promotion, wage rises and whatever, because uh, Derek McKinnon was actually promised the biggest budget in Kelly history. You might have seen that in the papers. But it turns out that two-thirds of that budget, yeah, two-thirds of that budget was um, already used up by players already on the contract due to wage rises and players such as Callum Waters and Lee Hodgson, who both loaned out second half of the season, getting... Um, Rises and 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 uh, year extensions due to promotion. I mean, we we backed ourselves into a corner and then had to rely on loans. And then yeah, it just wasn't good at all. But maybe with the what fifteen or so players going out, we can at least you know start fresh, clean slate. And and there are some decent players there, but just oh. It's going to be it's going to be a huge rebuild, Kelly. Uh, Suppose what McInnes gets to sign all the players that he wants, as opposed to players that he inherited. Yeah, aye. Yeah. Um, just sorry to jump in. Robbie Dees is a good signing. Speaking from you know being up north here and mates that are Cali fans and things like that, Dees is a good signing. I think anyone in the bottom half of this league would have taken him in a heartbeat as a left sided centre half, left footed. He's he is very good in Cali. We're a lot better this season when he was in the team. Um, so he'll he'll improve the defence quite a bit as well and I guess it's just trying to pick up players of a similar quality to that too so yeah that's that's really encouraging to hear Ross and I and I did personally think he's a you know solid signing for us I mean hopefully left sided gives that bit of balance because of him on the left Joe Wright on the right hand side defence you know the right centre back you know this is that's a good solid base to build from and you never know we could get lucky, I don't know, and get Lewis Mayo back. That would be one of the loonies who I would get back. And of course, the two the two kind of signings that Derek managed to bring in in January, as, as poor as our January window was, it wasn't quite as bad as Dundee United's because we managed to get Kyle Vassell just before the the uh, New Year. Just at New Year, it was announced that it was on trial beforehand. So he's, he's been a good addition. But then right on deadline day, Luke Chambers on Liverpool. That boy has been absolutely sensational. Got a new, I think it was four or five years ago, four year, I think, at uh, Liverpool in May. 
there's been vague chatter about him potentially coming back Kelly on loan already, but Liverpool might need him for like homegrown players, etc. I mean, if if those two players are anything to go by with, you know, Derek and his uh, new recruitment guy who I mentioned earlier, we're maybe we're maybe not looking too bad. But again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and fall into the trap that a lot of us did uh, going into this season. See one thing I think that might help you. I don't know if we've mentioned this last week in the podcast, but see the fact that Doherty's away to Dundee. I mm. think for years, and this was something that Aberdeen McKinnis was crying out for her, a fresh approach to his coaching stuff, and it never happened. It was always Doherty, Sheeran, these guys. Whereas now you've got a chance for Archibald coming in, maybe a fresh approach, new ideas that might help McKinnis improve as a manager as well. Yeah, mate, because he's always he's always had, you know, Tony Doherty by his side since he took over it from Johnson in 2007 and then the same kind of goes for Paul Sheeran as well. So maybe that bit of a fresh perspective will help because Derek was talking in one of the papers about about the importance of that, saying, you know, the likes of Sir Alex Bergson or, or the late Walter Smith would say he always needs to freshen up the backroom team and it's true. So he's brought Alan Archibald in, which, I think it's quite a smart appointment because everyone in that coaching setup has has got some sort of managerial experience now. Of course, Derek, obviously, Paul Sheeran has his time, you know, at Broth and at Bullcock. And even uh, he also promoted Craig Clark, who's the under-18s manager, which yeah. I think yeah, is a smart move. People, I think we're trying to, you know, bring through some of the youngsters like David Watson, who's been superb the last few months of the season. I mean, you could even argue... I mean, if, if Graham was the one of like, his take on this, actually, you could even argue that that boy ended uh, Robert Snodgrass's heart's career. Um, basically managed to mark him out of games. But, but we do have some good jumps coming through, and having the having the uh, guy who's coached them right the way through can only help that as well. So I think I think having the fresh perspective on the coaching side is going to be exciting for us next season. Aye, you'll just need to hope that next year you don't have to rely as much on loan players. Because you want to try and build a squad if you want to establish yourself again. That's the big thing, I think. Yeah, that that's it. Because I mean, was it eight loan players we we let go? I think it was eight, which is yeah, which is worrying. Um, so we'll move on to Lavido. You and you said we could just insert the stuff from last year. Uh, <laughs> but Martin Dale again. But like, can you still call it defiant um, expectations? Or yeah, I mean. Reality is it's that every season as dull as it sounds, but and I'm sure, you know, Scott, I don't know why Celtic fans are so obsessed with Davy Martindale uh, and his budget, but the reality is 10th place and above is a successful campaign for Livingston and any season that we achieve that is is a good campaign. I think my prediction on the season preview was 7th, finished 8th, if I remember correctly, so... I mean, a draw for me at the place at the start of the season, I would have been more than content. But I think it's obviously there's no pictures on a scorecard, and I think if you if you look into our season in a bit more depth, it's a it's a kind of season of what ifs. And you know, going into the World Cup break, we were sitting fourth, had some excellent performances. Even going away from home, drew at Ibrox, drew at Tynecastle, probably should have won at Tynecastle. It was a 97th minute equaliser, which probably should have been disallowed for about three reasons by VAR. But you know, we we came back after the after the World Cup break. 
December, probably a wee bit dodgy. We had a very good January, went unbeaten, had a couple of really good back-to-back away performances at, at McDermott Park and then and then at Ross County. And thoroughly enough, that game at McDermott Park was the last time we scored a goal away from home on the 14th of January. And I think the game that seemed to basically send our season into a bit of a spiral was the, the cup defeat to Inverness and 0-0 at half-time, lost the game 3-0, and we just never seemed to recover from that. But the it's the away form in particular, second half of the season. I know Laurie obviously spoken about Kilmarnock's away form, but we've set a new top-flight record at the tail end of the season. It's eight defeats on the bounce with no goals scored. And in those games, you can't even really talk about us threatening on goal. I'm sure Danny was probably at the, the last game of the season, and we were punchless Andy I'm sure you saw the game at Tannadice before the split again utterly utterly punchless you've got the worst goalkeeper in the league that has poppadoms for hands and you you have one shot on target in the whole game in a must win game uh, it's you know the away performances have just been so so poor but then you compare that to some of our performances at home in that spell from February to the end of the season and some of them have been very good so it's that kind of Jekyll and Hyde that we've had but in reality we're three points worse off than we were last season in one place so you could probably turn around and go oh, why are you so negative but there's kind of worrying trend setting and it's the lowest goals we've scored since being in the top flight or back in the top flight it's the most goals we've conceded worst goal difference we've had minus 24 I think our previous worst was minus 12 you know there's just there's a few kind of worrying trends setting in and obviously a a couple of kind of mainstays in the side, like Nicky Devlin moving on to Aberdeen, Jack Fitzwater moving on, albeit I don't think Jack had anywhere near as good a season as previously, but chances are we're going to lose the likes of Nubli if a, if a relatively decent offer comes in with him only having a year left in his deal. And I think budget-wise, in terms of what we were able to offer players this summer, I think Davies need to take a, a cut in the budget due to the recent counts that have just been released to, yeah, uh, £800,000 uh, £800, deficit in our budget. I think he's anticipating a, another cut in that. So I think next year, if we if we finish 10th, that's probably one of the biggest achievements in the club's history, to be honest, if we manage to stay in the league. But yeah, it's a, it's a, as I say, it's a kind of season of what-ifs because for half the campaign we were sitting dreaming of kind of top six European football and I mean if you get in the top six these days with kind of five potential places going to Europe it's, you know, you've got every opportunity of, of European football which we've only had once in our history so yeah, it's a kind of a kind of season of what-ifs and the only difference I would say compared to last season is last year we we went six games unbeaten at the end of the season and you're kind of going into the new campaign with a little bit more optimism whilst this year we're coming off the back of, you know, as I say, that historically bad away record and just kind of some really damp performances and worrying trends. The point about the players leaving is a big one because I remember last year Martindale saying at the end of the season we're keeping everyone we want to keep whereas this year, as you say, you're getting rid of key players which is a big difference and if the budget's getting cut further should be worrying times but yeah, th- the thing is, uh, even if you look at the team that's finished the games at the end of this season, you know, the ga- game at McDermott Park, it was only Nicky Devlin that was out of contract that started, that was in our starting 11. So there's still, again, probably a core of our team for the last two seasons. But I, I do think there's, 
you know, a lot of recruitment needs done. Obviously, you need to look in the market for a right back. We've signed Mikey Devlin from Hibs, but he's a a major gamble given his his track record with injuries. I think he's played seven games in the last four years, but I think we've all we're anticipating that risk by only giving him a one year deal and his extensions purely based on appearances. So, you know, it's a it's a big, big gamble with Devlin. I, I think we're in desperate need of probably signing a, a wide player or two, given that we're going to lose Nubley. And I, I also think we need a, a genuine backup to Bruce Anderson because when Bruce hasn't been available, which he was not available for the kind of first half of the campaign or large chunks of it, we've got zero options through the middle up top. So I think we've been linked with Chris Kane, who's out of contract at St. Johnston, who I think would be a, a really good fit for us. But again, given the fact he's had a lot of difficulty with injuries of late, it's it's another it's another risk for us taking. But it's if if we were to get somebody like him in, I think it would be a really good bit of business if we can obviously get him on the park and get him playing. Um, Ross, I think you asked him. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting because I would say for at least half of the teams in the league, it's such a fine line between what can be determined as a good season and then as a poor season. You know, you're talking about there like a core group of core group of players that you had last season. And I compare it with County. Obviously we had a great season last season getting into the top six, but when you lose players like so Charles Cook, Hungbo and Spittle, you lose a lot of goals there. So they're the ones that are pushing you onto you know over to the right side of that line by delivering those moments of quality. You lose them, how then do you replace them? And it's then very easy when you don't get the kind of same quality to tip back over the the other side and I guess once you start to tip if you don't then have the quality to go the opposite direction and kind of change things around and and improve things again it's it, it's tricky and especially for clubs like County, Livingston, things like that on smaller budgets in comparison to a lot of teams in the league it, it's it's tough and I guess in the second half of the season it, it's nowhere near the same but I felt like at times listening to post-match interviews from Martindale or, or things like that, it had a bit of Teddy Butcher at Hibs vibes to it. Not in the same extent like he wanted, you know, a, a totally fresh squad, but at times, even pre-split, he was wanting the season done and dusted so then he can kind of rebuild and things like that. Not to, obviously, it, it didn't go as badly wrong as it did for Butcher at Hibs, but I, I just felt like listening to it, there was almost some, some slight comparisons to it. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with you in Kenny Davies' demeanour and you know, we can joke about the whole budget chat, but even as a Livingston fan, I've started to get quite frustrated with it because it was coming out every week and it was just incredibly negative. And me personally, I think it almost puts players off even speaking to us, potentially because he's he's talking up so much about how little wages we can offer. Why is somebody going to come and speak to us if they know they're not going to get that wage? He, he doesn't even really give an opportunity to sell the football club and what we have achieved over the last kind of five, six, seven years. But yeah, Martindale's demeanour, kind of, as you say, kind of post-split games, in particular on our, our kind of social media ch- stuff. The game at Dingwall, the game at Rugby Park, he, he's, it's the most scunnered I've heard Davy sounding post-match. And there was probably a small element where Livy fans were thinking it, maybe he's maybe he's kind of having a little thinky. It, it echoed Gary Holt's post-match stuff when he left, uh, Gary came across very kind of scunnered with it and the kind of run of form we had before he left. So it kind of had those those parallels, but 
given the fact that Davies already started recruitment for the new season, I, I fully expect him to be there. And I also still think he's the right fit for the football club. I'd, I'd hate to see what would happen if Davy left, if I'm totally honest, given the given the the kind of influence he has at the football club and the amount he does behind the scenes at the football club. I think, you know, for us, if Davy was to leave, you know, it's not just replacing a manager. A manager's going to want to come in and bring an entire backroom team in with him, which we don't have the finance to do. So the fact that we've just let Christoph Berger go to save a wage kind of suggests that. So it's, yeah, it's, as I say, I think this is the biggest challenge Davy's had probably since being at the football club and cert- certainly in the top flight, I think this season's going to be a, the first season where we have that genuine kind of scrap. You knew quickly, you just said that, Mark, we've discussed it before, you felt Martindale almost um, talked up or mismanaged the fans' expectations, whatever way you uh, look at it, because he was talking about top six and created a rod for his own back. So do you think actually maybe that he, he maybe believed, well, he probably did believe it himself and he's actually scunnered himself as a result of it because we, you said, you know, Hopkin in the championship, it was all about talk down, talk down, uh, talk down. We're safe for relegation, safe for relegation, end up getting up. Whereas Martindale's actually, although he's talked about the budget a lot, he also talked up the team's chances of getting into top six. Yeah, I think Davies kind of been, he bigged up last year. He said it was the most exciting group of players he's had since he's been at the football club, the squad last season. And to be fair, it's probably the, the best football we've played since being back in the top flight. I think we actually played a pretty decent brand of football last season. I think we've maybe gone slightly backwards this year on that front. But yeah, I agree. I, I think Davies started talking up top six. He started talking up European football and it was probably the first time he's done that publicly on such a regular basis. And then the players are coming out talking about top six European football. So, you know, football fans hear that fans will hear that and they'll assume that that's the expectation I'm sure you know on paper behind the scenes the players and the manager have discussed that they think they could probably push on top six which in theory they did do they went down to the final game before the split missing out on that but they've then set as you say that off their own back and that they've set they're hyping up the expectation with the fans and then the fans have kind of turned at the end of the season a little bit on the team and, and the manager and for me, the reality still is, you know, 10th and above, anything above that is a fantastic season, really, in the grand scheme of things. And the fact that we're even pushing on top six is quite remarkable, given the resources that we have. Um, someone that obviously had a fantastic season, Celtic. I know you're kind of maybe kind of push for time, but thoughts on how it's ended with the managerial or the manager leaving? Can I just start? I want to commend everybody that's still on here. I think we've got the eighth place down to 12th. The largest stage, so they can see my background in the Zoom. They can see the league <laughs> title sitting behind me. This is what it looks like, boys. If you all put your money together and made your own big that, club, maybe that, get that. I don't know. But... That doesn't look like the big title. We we are five in a row on the points to pound spent league, Scott. That's the one that matters. That's the, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the title that matters. I was going to pick you up on that. The reason I mentioned about Martindale talking about the budget is because since he'd done the interview with Simon Ferry and Slaney, it's all I've heard since coming out his mouth about his budget. But away from that, right, I can't, I can't talk any higher about the season we've had because it's since, in my recent memory, since probably Martin O'Neill's team, this has been the best football I've seen Celtic playing. And you could even push Martin O'Neill's team in terms of 
how fluid the football is. It could maybe be better. I'm not sure, but that, that could be a high shout. Um, we've competed for three domestic trophies and we've won them all. It's a treble again. It feels like deja vu. What about um, the fact that Neil's team was getting tested in Europe right up until May in 2003, whereas like Ange wasn't able to win a game in Europe? I don't know. I don't mean that, but the, the size of the team, mate, and the way, like how good the team is, I just mean the, how fluid the football is. Like it's so, it's no direct. Martin Neil's team was down the lines into Sutton and Larson, play that way. The way we've played football, it's been pass, pass, move, move, chase down every ball. It's been, honestly, I've never seen the likes yet. And it's it's been brilliant to see. Like, I'm, I'm sad Angie's away. Uh, these things do happen. I thought we'd have got another year at them. But I feel kind of grim looking at what's meant to be coming, which is the return of the talking shite king, Brendan Rodgers. I've never seen a man with such a big ego in all my life. Tried to bring Danny McGrain down, and I was actually there the night that Danny McGrain said that the story about him sitting in his normal clothes was a lot of shite. It was nothing to do with that. He was sitting in his tracksuit and then waiting to go out. Brendan Rodgers just wanted to make himself feel good. Anyway, uh, I don't know if he's going to come in. It looks to me, I've just been reading more and more rumours there, that he is more or less certain to come in. Seen another one saying that Scott Brown was maybe in talks to become a coach or an assistant manager to him, which I don't think I could cope with either because he actually can't say Bruni. He calls him Brownie. If I hear that for a full <laughs> fucking season, I'll probably find away my season ticket, day away my radio, and pull my telly off the wall. I can't cope with that. Um, I'll come back to you, but back to the season we've just seen. The players like Katati. Like, I know Kyogo was phenomenal. The goals he scored, a lot of them were one-touch finishes that Kyogo had, and a lot of them were actually they were similar goals. It was just across the six-yard box. All he's done is get the better of the defender that's on him. He's put the ball in the back of the net. It sounds and it looks so simple. Fuck, Chris Boyd could even do that. There's one for you, Laurie. That's probably up there with how he played. I think Kyogo's just a bit more agile, right enough. Um, but just a wee bit more agile, aye. Just a wee bit. Just a wee bit, mate. But hey, uh, Atati. Atati has been very, very unlucky to come away without winning a player's player or a player of the year at Celtic this year because he's phenomenal on the ball. I've never seen somebody so cool, calm. If you go and look at the highlights for the semi, was it, no, it was the final, final against Rangers, but the way he takes the ball and He's beating players. It's as if nobody can get near him. Honestly, God, I've never seen a player like that in my adult life in Scotland. It's just he's, he's honestly, we need to hold on to him next year and try and get the better out of him, the best out of him in Europe, which I hope under Rogers. Oh my God, Rogers in Europe. I know you said about Andrea, by the way, Andrew, but we tried to have a go at teams. See that Rogers team? Oh, the second season in Europe was hard to watch. I'm starting to get PTSD thinking about it, actually, to be honest. <laughs> um, aye, but we've... I genuinely, I genuinely, I can't, I can't talk anymore about how good we've been this year. It's been brilliant. Um, Danny, I think you had a question or point to make. Yeah, um, just quite obvious, Scott. I mean, obviously, when Brendan comes back up, um, I mean, 
what adventures I'll have in the Clyde Tunnel this time, I do not know. Um, but I can't even begin to imagine. But, <laughs> um, I mean, Europe's got to be the next next step, really, hasn't it? Um, do you think... Uh, it would have been learned anything from last time. It would have been, but you've got to wrap it back to back to the start again. Start again when you've got a new manager coming in. I would have loved to have seen Ange having a crack at Europe again and trying to bring in players this summer, which I think he would have probably done if it wasn't a club the size of Spurs that yeah. I came in for him. And if you look back at, at the the timeline, your man Scott Munn coming in at Tottenham, he came in in April. Ange knew easy by the start of May that he was, wasn't going to beat Celtic. And I think that's going to be hard for us now going into, into next season. The, the only bonus is that we've not got any qualifiers to play. And whoever comes in is going to have a chance to bring in their own players. Oh, my God, Brendan Rodgers and players. See, this is what's happening to me. I'm actually ready to collapse thinking about Brendan Rodgers coming into the club again. Um, we, we brought in some amount of charlatans into the club. Um, I don't think he's going to bring Scott Sinclair back this time. I think he's maybe done. <laughs> uh, but I just I I just hope whoever it is still tries to play. I know he's a he's a lot take the book when I say this, but I hope they try and play the Celtic way, the way that Ange has played. Quick, fluid football, it's it's been a revelation. And outspend every team in the league by about a hundred times as well. But Ross, that's no I've heard this all the time. That's no Celtic's fault. Yeah, that's just because we didn't show ambition signing Aaron Moy on 25 grand a week. That's just a lack of ambition <laughs> from the other clubs. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, right, how do we look back at the league titles that have happened for the years? And that's like Rangers spoiled it for the Oyes because there was four league winners in the 80s. The 90s came, they won nine in a row and then we had to compete against that. It was them that started this shite. Then anybody was. Um, so... I actually forgot what your point was there, mate. To <laughs> 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 um, be fair, obviously, we've got the biggest budget, but see Dana Treble. Obviously, that's Celtic's eighth world record eighth treble, which was never really How many countries have three league? Three cups. What's that, Paul? How many countries have three cups? Yeah, well, you can win any of the Europe, European ones. There's, there's English <laughs> League there. They're celebrating Man City. They couldn't win the League Cup. Man, Man United came over there. Um, but, no, to be fair, eight, eight trebles in the space of the time that Celtic's been at the top of their game. And four of them, five of them, sorry, have came in the last within the last 10 years, which is, is crazy in terms of consistency. The consistency we've had this year has been brilliant until we actually won the league and we fell away. Obviously, again, it goes back to the fact that Ange's probably knew he was gone. He's probably relaxed a bit off the players. It's all guesswork, to be fair. The biggest test we had this year was St Myrne. With St Myrne away and they beat us 2-0, I think it was October uh, last year, and we never turned up. And for then we kicked back on again. A lot of teams have gave us good games and spells, but we've just been too good. We've been superior, and that includes Rangers. Rangers should have beat us at uh, Ibrox in January, as of St. Andy. That was our worst performance of the season, I'd, I'd say, behind that Sutton game. But Juranovic came on and he played uh, right back, putting 
putting the edge on to the other side and it was just it was just hopeless. Um it should have Scott, happened. Can I just quickly ask you, I know it's quite late, but just um, in terms of um, Rodgers obviously took no one to Leicester, uh, Gerrard took no one to Villa, do you think Postacoglu will take anyone to Spurs? From are you, Do you worry about that? I've got a feeling mate, that there might be something in their contracts that are stopping them from doing that. Just the way it is, because they've kind of, it's came out the now that John Kennedy or any of the backroom staff can't go to Tottenham with Postacoglu and he's tried to come in for them. I'd rather, I'd rather Kennedy did go, to be fair, because he does get a lot of Stick some, it's probably warranted some, it's probably justified, but he's been there a long time. I wish that Celtic would maybe let him move on this time. Uh, but in terms of players, again, the one I was just talking about is Hattati. I think Hattati could actually go down to the English Premier League. I think he's good enough for top six English Premier League? I'd say so, mate. It can only get better. At least even to move in and then learn off players around the bottom. The only one that would say would that would get a start in any of the teams would be Carl McGregor. And we'll all have watched him for Scotland. I think he's phenomenal. Honest to God, he's, he's grit and determination every time he gets on the park and plays. It's, it's something else. Well, he came from that last week, didn't he, Ross? Sorry, on your own. Excuse me. Um, on Carl McGregor, I was somebody who was n- never a massive fan of him until relatively recently. I always thought, he will always turn off in a Celtic shot it doesn't show off in a Scotland shot. That seems to have changed of late. But McGregor's somebody who, who, who seems to have come on. So you never know. He, if he wanted, maybe could get something Fun. himself. But he, to, to me, he's Mr Celtic. I don't know if there's any truth in that, or if that's just me thinking that way. But I don't see him leaving Celtic. Oh no, I don't think he will leave, mate. But I just mean in terms of the players he could come in for, he's probably the one that would probably be straight into a start lineup for me. If you're talking about McGregor there for playing for Scotland, he was changing his role all the time. He was kind of playing a certain role sometimes. And it wasn't until he played alongside Jack that Jack would certainly let Callum McGregor push further forwards. You've seen the best of Callum McGregor. Um, aye, that's... I can't wait for Saturday, sorry. That's, um, my head's all over the place now. No bother. I mean, just, just hope Callum McGregor, again, continues to replicate somebody's seventh form. And a Scotland shot then. Fingers crossed. Ah, he's been playing well for Scotland recently, I think. We've been healed. Um, we'll come to the real champions, though, uh, which are really Ross County. That was the, the big one for everyone, wasn't it? Oh, you see, sat here, you know, three hours you listen to the podcast, you're thinking, when's the main event coming up? You know, when we're we talking about the main team that everyone's wanting to listen to. And yeah, uh, I think... You know, it's so cliche to say a great advert for Scottish football, but I think that was the best advert you could have asked for those 120 minutes plus the penalty shootout last Sunday. Um, you know, everyone that wrote us off after the first leg, even before the first leg and up until that point, I think a lot of county fans as well, with about 20, 25 minutes to go, were fully accepting where we were going to be next season, you know, just planning trips, you know, potential Highland derbies and things like that. But I, I've never seen anything like that last Sunday. That was that was incredible. I mean, it's been a very up and down season, a very stop start season, I think it's felt like for us. Um we spoke there about it. it's such a fine line, you know, between a good season and a bad season for clubs like County. And um yeah, look there's a lot that's gone on. But um yeah, just last Sunday was 
incredible. Absolutely incredible. It makes it makes all the tough moments throughout the season so worth it. Um and yeah, just incredible. Just incredible way to finish the season. And then you've been busy since celebrating, haven't you? Oh, just come off cloud nine just now. Um, no, nah, it's been it's been really good. I think um, you know I was buzzing after Sunday. Barely got an hour's sleep. Then we were on uh, BBC Radio Scotland in the morning, Radio One in the afternoon on their news beat. Did the podcast with yourself and Michael on Monday night. Um, yeah, aye, that's that's the main event. We're talking about that. Yep, so. Yep. Um, and then just throughout the week, there's been a bit, you know, we've we've done a few more bits as well. We did our own podcast on Thursday, kind of looking back and everything and our end of season awards and that too, which has had a lot of good traction as well. Um, we work with the club on on that and, you know, we were they were very nice enough to send us a couple of thank you videos as well from the guys that won the awards. We put that thread out tonight. Um, and yeah, just, just the entire week has just been, it's been crazy, but I think we spoke about on our podcast that a result like that can galvanize a football club and everyone involved in it. You know, the young kids going to watch a game like that, um, you want to have moments that stick with them and keep them supporting clubs like Ross County and, you know, potentially move away from the pool of likes of the big two, you know, the success that they'll have throughout the years and, you know, um, a guy that we have on the podcast, Stephen, he had his five-year-old son at the game and the two last two home games he was at was the 3-3 against the Johnston and then the, the playoff second leg. And he thinks that's what it's like now every week supporting County. So it's just, uh, yeah. And obviously behind the scenes as well, you know, we talk about what relegation can mean to a football club and, you know, staff cut, staffing cuts, um, you know, budget cuts, everything like that. And, yeah, look, we've avoided that, thankfully, and it's just about now trying to rebuild into next season. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the playoffs. I like watching them, but only like watching them as a neutral. I can't go through anything like that ever again. I saw the experience of, obviously, Danny. You had it last year. Um, do you want to come in? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, firstly, um, thanks for keeping up my elaborate theory that we should just sack the fourth place team off in the playoffs and it would make it better. Um, that nearly came to a crashing end. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I think coming from the voice of experience after last season, what we totally did wrong then was um, basically we recruited badly in the summer. Um, you know, it we ended up with unbalance an old squad. Is that got to be the, is that sort of got to be the prerogative at, at County this, this summer recruit? Is it going to be recruitment or have you got enough there with the guys that are already in place? So there's 16 uh, players signed up for next season already. Um, and I think there's, eight or nine out of contract and then obviously the loan guys that are moving back as well so as per every year it's a rebuild and it kind of it always will be that i think the core group that we've got just now is is good you know i think you mentioned there how important recruitment was and i think the the difference between recruitment in the summer and then in january was that i think it was you know it, it was almost a kind of like money ball style approach to it last season you know when you lose like the charles cook and hungbo and spittle that's that's like 25 27 odd goals i think amongst the three of them so then instead of just trying to 
Charles Cook, for example, you, you're not going to get a winger that's going to come up to Ross County and score 13 goals. So if we can sign two or three that's going to chip in with, you know, three or four throughout the season, that'll make up that deficit. And and some work, some had their impact, some kind of struggled and things, which, you know, was, was for a, a variety of reasons. And then in January, it was more of an approach to getting experienced players that are used to the Scottish game here, likes of Brophy, Simon Murray, and even, you know, Gwion Edwards had a spell with you guys as well, but has obviously gone on to play a couple of hundred games down in, in England as well and came up and did and did very well prior to his injury. And I guess it was just trying to get that balance right. So it'll be interesting to see what we go through this summer, if it's going to be similar to January or, you know, there'll be a bit of a mixture there. Like I've seen there was links of a, um, a Halifax defender yes, yesterday, um, Jesse Debra, who's apparently very highly rated in non-league so he's out of contract so we're trying to apparently we're interested in him um obviously mentioned the Stuart McKinstry one earlier on so I guess it's just trying to get that balance because for clubs like County you want to try and bring these guys in and you know give them a stepping stone to move on to a bigger club you know and get the money in for them so yeah look it's going to be interesting I think we've got a good core there so if we just add a bit of quality in the right areas I think I think we'll be fine so the difficulty you've probably got a bit similar to like I was at Aberdeen. You're always competing with Hibs and Hearts for players. You've yeah. got Johnson, LA, maybe even Dundee United because they always have a big budget. I would think yeah. Dundee. Yeah. Um, so there's that many clubs competing for players. It's how do you make it attractive that come to us? Yep, absolutely. And um, I've been told it's actually easier to attract players up to Ross County from the likes of South of England down in London, Southampton areas like that than it is to track them up from the central belt you know because if a player down in the central belt has got offers from you know you've listed off a bunch of clubs there they've got offers from motherwell uh dundee kilmarnock st johnston and county all with the same kind of wage offers and they and they're looking not to relocate you can already kind of scratch one of them off the list straight away because players aren't going to want to travel up and down or or temporarily kind of relocate to the highlands for you know, away from their family for periods of time. You know, that's two and a half, three hours up and down the road every day. Whereas players down in England, you know, you've got Inverness Airport that you can fly to London quicker than you can actually get down to like of Perth and beyond on the A9. So um, it's it's always it's always tough. It's just trying to get value for money. And I've seen a lot of kind of criticism of County trying to, you know, go down to the lower leagues in England rather than... Well, the open goal guys were doing that, Ross, weren't they, this week? And I, I, that's a really good point. I'd not considered the perspective you put on that there. If you've got offers in the central belt, why are you going to relocate your family? Whereas if you're you know, down south in England, what difference does it make if it's Glasgow or, or Inverness or Bingwall? Exactly, exactly that. And I think you know, the only way we can encourage these guys that have these other offers in the central belt is to, to, you know, to up the offer. And then are we getting value for money in that sense? So it's, it's tough. It is, it's tough for ourselves up here but look we've we have picked off a few gems you know like say Jan Danda I think Danda is one of the technically one of the best players in the league I think he easily slot into apart from the big two into any team in the league and I think he'd be a very good player for them so there's likes of him Ben Paddington as well came back in the playoffs he was very good at left back before his injury against United um, and obviously then looking a bit further afield trying to tap into markets like so Victor Latudi as well has been a good find so yeah it'll be interesting um, Laurie, did you have a point you wanted to make? Yeah, so it's just back to what um what you were saying there, Ross, about the kind of recruitment. I actually quite like the way Ross County seems to go about it. I mean, Jan Danda, I mean, great, as you were saying, great player, a good bit of English Championship experience. That's a bit of a 
bit of a coup for someone like County, but he perhaps does demonstrate what you're saying, where it's easier to get a player from, you know, south of England or in Dan's case even Wales to actually come to come to County. And and I I quite like how, you know, the county are willing to kind of cast on net further afield. I mean, Kelly speaking for my club obviously, we're usually quite, you know, almost bog standards of the free complements for recruitment. We'll bring in some English loanies and, you know, some some kind of SPL journeymen, whereas Ross County have been brave in bringing guys in and even like uh, George Harmon, for instance. Is he not was he not at Oxford City and no one league, which people, people, uh, they say the boys are trying to laugh at no one league, but we need to give it a bit more respect because you can get solid players, but you can get some right guff as well. But there are some good players in there if you yeah. know the mark correctly. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, looking back, obviously from looking at it close up, Cali Thistle's most successful team was actually built off a lot of players down from you know, the lower leagues in England, likes of the National League and below, likes of Gary Warren, um, players like that, that they built that foundation on and then obviously went on to have good success finishing third in the the Premiership Scottish Cup and things like that. So it does show that there are are gems down there and you mentioned Harmon there. I mean, Georgia stepped up at two of the biggest points in the match on Sunday with the equaliser and the penalty that was about to go to sudden death. If he misses that, it's, it's, it's done. You know, so for him to say such a compo- great penalty and such a composed finish, the way he kind of just stroked it in. Yeah. Whatever the temptation is, because that's I think Murray maybe even had a chance afterwards. He kind of lashed and fizzled a couple of chances where they lap Bannigan lashed at it, and they in fact mm-hmm. fizzled about three where they lashed him over the bar. But the composure in that finish was brilliant. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think um, he's been he's been phenomenal this season. I think he was brought in as kind of like a prospect, and. Paddington was going to be the established left back, but then obviously Ben broke his ankle against United back in October, I think it was. And and Harmon was actually out injured at that time. And his return then against Kilmarnock was the perfect time and it coincided just the week after Ben's injury. And since then he was a mainstay in the team. I think the the sec yeah, the second leg was the only game I think he hasn't started since then. So um look, he's He's had a big impact in our season. I think he's a fan's favourite after that. I mean, the scenes after the game, you know, he's up on fans' shoulders and stuff like that. Um, they're just kind of scenes you don't often see at County, um, you know, and... And a big reason why they should keep the playoff two legs, because you occasionally hear chat about, oh, we should make it one leg to Hamden, but that just isn't going to work yeah. like that. For the, the, a country the size of Scotland uh, and the supporter bases, it doesn't work. You need to have it two-legged for the final. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was nice as well to have a moment like that because... You know, obviously last season, last home game of the season, we got beat by Dundee United and there was that pitch invasion there. So we've kind of seen both sides of it, which I actually think benefited us in a way that when there was the pitch invasion at the end, I think it was very respectful. Like so when um, the United team walked off, the fans on the, the county fans on the pitch applauded them off as well because they knew it was a mark of respect for them that, you know, they put up a hell of a challenge and they came so close to doing it. Um, and just little things like that, it's... Yeah, it was just, it was nice. Like obviously, just a bit further than a year on, you know, a difference in emotions and things like that. But yeah, it was good. Um, something in common with the playoff final is probably the length of this podcast and the sweat sweatiness factor that we've all got after the end of it um, in terms of how muggy it is. Um, I appreciate you all coming on and sticking for so long on the podcast. Uh, hopefully, we're still people are listening to it. Um, that'll be a bonus. 
Um, Laurie, nice to have you on for your first time. It's again, it's been an absolute pleasure. As I said at the start, and it's been great um, hearing the perspectives of fans of our clubs as well. And and I wish you all the best for the upcoming season, and I will happily be on again. I right, definitely will get you back on. Um, Andrew, good to have you back on as well for your second appearance. Yeah, no, thanks very much. I got a WhatsApp from my wife about half an hour ago. Are you still talking about football? So I'm probably going to get in trouble <laughs> a bit. But, um, you know, if you want to keep talking about the championship, that's fine. But, uh, yeah, no, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I'm going to talk about Scotland now. I'll see I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> on the couch. On the couch. Exactly. Uh, Danny, I think as well, yourself, second appearance. You were on the end of season podcast last year. So. I was, yeah, yeah. So um, no, we'll have to we'll have to make the uh, third appearance sometime sooner than the, the end of next season. Well, when we do the Premiership preview, you're now first up instead of Nori. Yeah, yeah, he's too busy, you know, raising a child or something, whatever yeah. he's doing. Um, so I don't even come and sit next to me at the games anymore. I'm too busy raising a child. Shocking, shocking. And then Ross, I mean, your race had a regular. Um, it was a bit like the end of the season last year, whereby you kind of finished up last, but I thought it was only fair to leave you to last tonight. Um, it's all right. It's okay. Because you're the real champions. Exactly. You know, the the biggest advert in Scottish football, that was that was down to us, you know. Um, so it's all good. He's, he's a complete media hoor these days as well, Ross. He's all over the place. Oh, I see, that, see this last week. I, I, oh my God. Just mental. <laughs> you need mental. an agent. Um, I've I've spoken to my partner about that. She's <laughs> she's she's doing the emails and stuff now. <laughs> I've got to enjoy these occasions. They don't come along often. Yeah, definitely, and that's the main thing. You know, it's been it's been a really good week, thankfully. So, um, brilliant, right? So, I thanks again, guys, and uh, good luck to Scotland in the next couple of fixtures. And I think our next podcast will be a review of the Scotland game. So, yeah, cheers again, guys, and uh, happy football. Mm-hmm.